Hello everyone, Tom here with just a quick message before our episode. We've covered a lot of dark things on this show, you know, particularly in our South Park episode. We do a lot of murder. We do a lot of really kind of controversial topics. Today's episode is particularly controversial. There are going to be some very serious trigger warnings in this one. We will be discussing sexual assault. We'll be talking about suicide. There's going to be some very offensive language in this one, more so than we usually use. So we're going to recommend, even though we do have some younger listeners, that children do not listen to this episode. This is a uh, pretty heavy episode. If any of our trigger warnings speak to you directly, we recommend you don't listen to this episode either. Not that we like to tell people, hey, don't listen to our show. But at the same time, we are going to be talking about some really, really dark topics. But it is one of my favorite games of all time, honestly. And it does land on a lot of people's top 10 lists. So it is a wonderful game. It is a fun game. But it does dive into some of the darkest things that we have ever covered on this show. So we do want to give a warning about that ahead of time. Parental guidance is definitely suggested. And to all the little kids listening, it's all about politics, actually. It's a, it's a game, just pure politics. You're not interested in that, right? Don't listen to a podcast about politics. Go listen to a podcast about something else. We've got a whole bunch of other episodes for you. This one, skip it. And now, back to our show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle. Hi, I'm Andrea, one of the co-hosts of The Other Castle. And my name is Tom. Hey, Tom. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic today. How are you? It's a good day in the castle. What are we doing in the castle today, Tom? So what we do is we break down the plot, lore, and more of video games. And, you know, we kind of do a little book report on them. Not a lot of interpretation or talking about like how it makes you feel. Well, I guess we do talk about how it makes us feel. Yeah. But we're also just very literal. We take you plot by plot of video games that you might be too scared to play, like Outlast or Dead Space, <laughs> or you're just curious about because it has an insane fan base, like Five Nights at Freddy's or Bendy and the Ink Machine, or some games that are insanely critically acclaimed, but the marketing isn't super clear, so you don't know what's going on in them. Like? Ooh, today's game for our season four finale, Ugh. Disco Elysium. We're ending on a disco. That's fucking great. Oh, we're also ending on an Elysium, which is even better. I don't know that word, but go on. So Elysium is a Greek word for kind of heaven. Oh, disco heaven. Yeah, disco heaven. I think that's a Lady Gaga song. It is a place where the heroes go after they die. Oh, that's beautiful. Disco Elysium is a point-and-click RPG adventure game. It's a mystery. Ooh. It is all sorts of things. It's, uh, we'll talk all about it. It uh, was released <laughs> October 15th, 2019. Okay, so not that old. Not too old, no. And then there was a final version dubbed The Final Cut, released March 31st, 2021. Okay. So, like, right, uh, a nice quarantine game to play. I just got that, like, year mark of quarantine. Like, hey, you guys are all indoors. That's exactly when I played it, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was great. The Final Cut version included voice work for the over 300 different characters and attributes that are in the game. 
Jesus. So the first cut didn't have that, but when they did a patch to make it whole again, they were like, all right, everyone get in the fucking booth. Yeah, they took a lot of the feedback that they got from the players. Okay. And they're like, we love this game, but there is a fuck ton of reading going on. (laughs) Fair enough. And so they did request voiceover work, and the voiceover work is fantastic. Oh, good. They didn't like... Heavy rain it where they said, fuck it, just anyone on the street can come in and just record insanity. No, I swear, like, their whole idea was like, let's just get a whole bunch of ASMR artists to come together (gasps) and voice everything. Get some tinglys in the game. And then every once in a while, throw in a really, like, out there voice that kind of pulls you back in. So you don't just nod off while you're playing. Yeah. That's good. There's just a lot of silky, smoothy, buttery voices in this, and it's just... It's like if Idris Elba just kept narrating everything. Ugh. He should narrate everything. Right? I love that. I like it how on Waze you can get a celebrity to your voice where it's like, Snoop Dogg's like, hey, make a right, man. Yeah. You know, (laughs) they do say (laughs) dumb shit like that. But just Idris Elba being like, she went to Albertsons. (laughs) She needed raspberries. Like, (laughs) hell Yeah. yeah, I want that. Yeah, but imagine he's also your subconscious. I would feel judged. (laughs) <laughs> I make really de- can I tell you today I was driving and I was driving my dad in my car and I was like ah, damn I just wish my car got cooler it's starting to get hot here and he goes well you could turn the AC on and I said what do you mean it's on four and he goes the fans on four the AC is off he pressed the button the car was immediately freezing cold oh no you didn't know about that I'm a fucking moron I'm so sorry yeah so- you know I did teach you how to drive that is my bad for not teaching you that part yeah I'm also an idiot though so <laughs> the thought of having Idris Elba as the angel and devil on my shoulder going she's still a fucking moron like no <laughs> that's too much I am deserving of much less than that but go on and it's not that weird that I taught her how to drive she grew up in a city that she didn't need a car it sounds creepy when you say it, though, huh? I know, it does. I'm a grown-ass bitch. So I have to, like, clarify this. It was just that <laughs> you didn't need to learn how to drive until you were an adult. I had a bus pass, man. <laughs> anyway. So Disco Elysium it was created by an Estonian man uh, named Robert Kurvitz, and it is based off of tabletop RPGs. So it's basically like a, a D&D, but made playable as a video game. A Dungeons & Dragons video game. But there are there dragons in this? No, that's okay. why it's more RPG tabletop. It's cool. more of a steampunk world. Uh, but I don't want to say steampunk because there isn't actual like steam shit going on or anything like that. Gotcha. Kurvitz, what he did was he wrote a book based on his tabletop campaign that he had been running for years. Oh, very cool. So he was a DM and he took his creativity to the next level. Yeah, that was his idea. Wow, very cool. And he took that book and he released it and it flopped horribly oh buddy yeah it barely sold a thousand copies Hmm. and it sent him into like a deep dark depression Uh, this is achingly familiar to another creator you covered recently (laughs) i know right they all just go to this well this guy he uh he gets drunk he parties he like he dives in okay face first and it takes him about three years to really pull himself out of it Oh, so he like went on a bender in depression. He did, yeah. Oof. This was like his life goal, and it just kind of fucking fell apart for him. Oh, buddy. And then a friend of him finally said to him, like, listen, your first mistake was trying to write a book because nobody's reading anymore. <laughs> Fair. What you should do is make a video game instead. Okay. Now, this game, it takes place in this alternate universe. 
so it's very earth-like but there's no countries you've ever heard of there's no history that exists that's like close to us okay so this all comes from what he created for that tabletop universe gotcha at this point, he has over 8,000 years of history for this world. We don't have 8,000 years of reasonable history for this world. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> fucking right. So he wrote a brief about what he envisioned this game could be. And here's what he wrote. D&D meets 70s cop show in an original fantastic realist setting with swords, guns, and motor cars. Ooh. Realized as an isometric CRPG exploring a vast, poverty-stricken ghetto, a modern advancement on the legendary Planescape Torment and Baldur's Gate. What? <laughs> I, I, and you just kept going. I was following the first chunk, got real confused in the middle chunk, used a lot of words I don't know, and then a couple words I knew, and now we're here, and I don't know what's happening. <laughs> it's all right. It takes a lot, and yeah. this is a complex game. It's a complicated game, but it is also one of the greatest games ever made. Good on you, buddy. <laughs> well, he decided to approach the artist of his book. His name is Alexander Rostov with his pitch, and Rostov liked the idea, but he was apprehensive, and Kurvitz said to him, my friend, we failed at so many things. Let us fail at making a video game, too. And Come down with this shit, buddy. Let's go. Yeah, he's like, let's just try one more time and see if we can make this work. And he finally agreed off those words. Oh. So they formed Zom Studios, and that's spelled Z-A slash U-M. And it was more of an art collective than it was a game studio. Very cool. And the game's original title was No Truce with the Furies. That's cool as shit. And it comes from a poem by R.S. Thomas. The game even opens with a couple of lines. So being Estonian, they came from a country that had been occupied by foreign forces. Okay. I don't know anything about Estonia. Yeah. They were occupied up until about 1991 oh, shit. by other countries. And like throughout their whole history, they've been occupied by different countries. And they wanted that to reflect in their game. Mm -hmm. So their setting is a place that has been coming fresh from an occupation. Okay. And it's still rebuilding. So recently liberated and rebuilding to form their new future. Yeah. Gotcha. And punk culture in his country was also like a big inspiration on the game as well. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Alcohol and drug abuse are also prevalent in the game. And that is also because a lot of the members of the art collective have a lot of experience with alcohol and drug abuse. Artists? No way. Right. <laughs> Go fucking figure. Artists in like an Eastern European country where they just got over a war. Yeah, there's a lot of reason for drug abuse. Oh, they're getting down. Yeah, they're partying. <laughs> they're like, fuck it. It's a new day. Let's go. And they based the entire design of the game on Rostov's artwork. Cool. But he was a painter, and they had to translate those paintings into 3D. Interesting. Here's how they did it. What he would paint is reference paintings Okay. for everything. So like you would with a comic book, you show it from all the different angles. So he would kind of storyboard scenes and places like that? No, what he was okay. doing was taking people places things and showing like what each of them would look from a different angle wow and then a computer artist would build a 3d model of what they need it to be they would shrink that 3d model back down to two dimensions put the painting over that and like kind of place the pixels over the part of the skeleton 
That sounds insanely time consuming. It's outrageously. And then they'd take that and blow it back out to 3D. And now these paintings were completely three dimensional. Is it worth it? It is one of the most visually stunning games. Okay. <laughs> you've ever seen. Fair. It's a painting. It's a moving painting constantly throughout the entire thing. That's pretty cool. I've never seen another game like it because nobody else has done anything like this. <laughs> Who has the fucking discipline to do shit like this? That's incredible. Yeah. And there are over one million words written. What the fuck? Yeah. Over half of them being written by Kurvitz himself. I only know like 200 words total. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's incredible though. Holy shit. But it resulted in a uh, 91 Metacritic score. Wow. GameSpot gave it its first 10 out of 10 in two years. Oh, shit. It broke the streak of not perfect games. Yeah. It won a few BAFTAs. Wow. Best debut game, best Damn. music, and best narrative. Oh, he must feel so good after coming off the book flop into this shit. Like The Game Awards, they got best independent game. Wow. Fresh indie game, which, what is the difference between those two things? Nope, nothing. <laughs> best narrative. Damn. And best RPG. That's a lot. That's a widespread for game awards. That's incredible. It just keeps landing on everybody's list of best games. I haven't seen it on a lot of top 10 lists. It's more and more people are discovering it and more and more people are getting to know this game and realizing that they can just get so completely immersed in it. I didn't know this game came out or existed when it launched. I don't know how I even stumbled onto it. I'm not going to lie. I couldn't. I don't have like a, an origin story for how I found out about this game for anybody. But I did play it and it was absolutely mind blowing. <laughs> That's great. And I kept at times I was like, I don't know how I feel about this game. Oh, I was unsure if I was loving it, if I was hating it. But then it fell so far on the side of love by the end of this game that in re-researching this, I can't, I've re-fell in love with it. Oh, And like, I, I want to go back and play it again even. <laughs> That's, that, this show makes me do that too. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> you, you play it once, then you read into it, and the art and the love that went into it, and you're like, fuck, this is art, man. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and now I find myself like talking to people at work about it and shit, and I'm just like, oh. Any of you played Disco Elysium? No, no, of course. Nobody's ever fucking heard of it. <laughs> just and spreading the joy. It is, you know, game of the year for everybody, so. I remember you bringing this in our house and I was watching it over your shoulder and just thinking like, oh, the music and the atmosphere is so unique and so beautiful. And yeah, have you seen anything like it in gaming before? Frankly, no. 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 It was a gamble, you know? And I think yeah. that's why I kept having that feeling of I don't know if I love it or hate it is because it is a gamble. Fair. They took a huge risk and the payoff worked. I can appreciate the nod to using the word gamble and the upcoming dice roll feature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the gameplay, actually. Okay. So it is mostly reading, but also voiceover with the final cut with very little combat. And it's a mystery adventure, and you have to piece together the truth. Okay. To discover the truth, you have to utilize your 24 traits to navigate this world. Okay. And these 24 traits define you as a person. Oh, no. And you can truly, completely create yourself if you want, or at least like who you think you are. <laughs> and throughout the course of the game, you get to make the character even more like yourself, even down to your politics. Wow. Did you make your character similar to yourself? I tried to. Okay. Yeah. I always do that same thing too. I'm like, oh, my character has to look like me. Like my GTA Online character dresses like me <laughs> and shit. 
you can't change the physical attributes of the character. Okay, gotcha. This guy looks the way he looks. But as far as who he is as a human, mm -hmm. you can make it be you. That's cool. It really is. And like I said, it is politics because politics are a massive part of this game. Okay. And life. Yeah, exactly. And in <laughs> life. You know, this game isn't for children and it's not because it's, you know, got adult content. It definitely does. But it is also just, it's going to be boring to a kid. <laughs> They're not going to like this. This is very adult-driven. They are adult concepts, adult stories. Again, politics are very heavy. We're not going to get into the politics aspect of this mm -hmm. because what they've done is also they made it so that the game itself doesn't choose a side. It, it just wants, lays it out? Yeah, it just lays it out. It wants you to be able to be who you are. Okay. And you're not going to run into characters who aren't going to talk to you because you don't agree politically. Hmm. So from conservative to ultra-liberal... They're all included. Interesting. So the ecosystem won't adjust for you. You kind of have to adjust to how you fit into the ecosystem. That's interesting. A little bit. And there are certain instances where you do like want to choose your words carefully because you'll be talking to somebody of a certain political alignment and you don't want to offend them. Yeah, totally. And they really just have four political alignments and it's communist, fascist, moralist, and ultra-liberal. Mm -hmm. But you have to keep in mind that this is an alternate universe, and these terms don't necessarily mean the same thing in their universe that they do in ours. Fair. Okay. And regardless of what your politics are, you'll get to the same ending. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. It, again, they're not trying to make a political stance on this. They just want you to be able to include how you feel. Gotcha. And like with any RPG, you level up and increase the stats of your traits. Very cool. There's really only two that you have to look out for, and that's endurance, which regulates your health, mm -hmm. and volition, which regulates your morale. And these are the only two things that, like, if those two things drain, either one of those, your game ends. If you run out of morale, like, it, if you just emotionally give up, they're yeah. like, sorry, buddy, you're done. You can basically embarrass yourself to the point of, I gotta go. Oh, shut up, that's hysterical. Yeah. I love everything about that. It's basically saying... Nobody trusts you at all anymore to the point you can't complete this. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great game mechanic. You know, I totally get running out of endurance of like, oh, I can't fucking run anymore. I'm tired. I'm physically drained but to be emotionally drained oh that's great. Yeah, it's something very different to any game that I've played as well. Totally. When I first played it, I didn't know which trait matched to my health mm -hmm. and I ended up dying immediately on one of my playthroughs. Oh no. Because I did not do this well the first couple times I tried. <laughs> That's great. I had to restart this game four different times because I didn't know what the fuck was happening. Jesus Christ. I didn't understand how to build my character. I didn't understand any of it. Bless your like faith in the game, though, to say, you know what? It's the fourth time. Let's try this one more time. Well, <laughs> give it, it a shot. You know, it's why I say I kept going back and forth because I kind of was about to give up. I really was. This is my last time. I am not trying again after if this doesn't fucking work. And fortunately for me, I figured it out on my fourth try. There you go. Fourth time was the charm on that one. The third one was the one where I died immediately. I'm like, okay, I fucked something up. Do you just walk out, fall down, and your pants fell, and everyone saw your heart-shaped boxers and laughed at you? And I'll tell you exactly the moment I died oh, when shit, we tell okay. you the story, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Slipped on a banana peel. Your successes and failures are based on dice rolls, as you were saying before. Yay, D&D &D forever. And they are called skill checks, 
just like in D&D. That's very clever. And they take two D6s, or two six-sided dice. <laughs> for the layman's like me who don't play D&D, <laughs> thank you for clarifying that, that was a normal dice. Yes. Uh, the game tells you which trait will be attached to each dice roll. So okay. of the 24 traits, it can be attached to any one of those. So it's random? Yeah, it's com- it's not random. It is related oh. to what you're talking about or what you're doing in the moment. Okay, got it. Fair. For example, if you need to intimidate someone and you put points into authority, you could add plus one or plus two to an authority roll. Okay, so it'd be a little extra authoritative in that moment. Yeah. But if you didn't put points into it, you roll what you roll. Or you could get a negative one to your roll if anything is making you less authoritative, like a silly hat. (laughs) Please tell me you played with a silly hat. Oh, there's plenty of silly hats to play. I love this game. I'm in. (laughs) If you're in, let's just get started. Let's get started. Suddenly, you're awake. You wake up on the floor in nothing but your underwear in a room that has been absolutely wrecked. Normal Thursday night. Go on. You walk around like holding your head clearly hung over as shit. And there's like booze bottles littered everywhere. Yeah, buddy. Clothes scattered, pants on a pile. You do manage to uh, put your pants on and in your pocket you find the key to the whirling in rags room number one. Whirling in rags? Whirling in rags. Ooh. You look up and you see your tie is hanging from the fan. Yeah, that's so classic. I turned the fan on and the lights blinded me because I was so hungover and it killed me. (laughs) I love everything about this. I have once before told you to take me to the hospital after a night of drinking and you refused. Refused. You say that like you've said it once. I remember once, (laughs) and that's how my memory's going to stay. But see, you need to be more sympathetic to the hungover people of the world, because it is a difficult place to be. I guess so, because this guy died immediately. If you only have one health bar and you turn on that light, you will die. (laughs) That's a great fucking insta-kill, though. I'm not going to lie. That's fucking hysterical. So I did give it one more try after that. That's fair. You fucked that one up. That's on you. So you turn off the fan itself, and you get the tie off there and you find your overcoat which is like on the stained bed your shirts in the bathroom and you finally check yourself out in the mirror and based on how you describe yourself your portrait will reflect your mood oh so it's the same person regardless but whether he's smiling or whether he's looking sad is based on how you feel well he's sick so he's probably gonna be sad yeah poor guy he's not feeling his best and you inspect the room and you notice that a window is smashed Oh. And you can tell that it's too big for a bullet, but too small for a chair. You also notice that you're missing a shoe. (laughs) You're like, I have made a deduction. (laughs) I am a detective, and I'm going to go find my shoe. I sure locked the shit out of this. And you head out your room into the hallway, and you go to the door to the balcony outside your room, and you go and you find your missing shoe. Hey, this is a mystery game. I love it. It is a mystery game, and they start you off with a very simple one. Find shoe. <laughs> Head back inside, and you meet a mysterious woman. Ooh. And now every personal interaction can go differently. Okay. So a person can like you, hate you, fall for you, be confused by you, trust you, not trust you, question you. They can just ignore you entirely. 
honestly, my first interaction with this next person ended with it saying, you will not be able to talk to this person again in the game. You fucked it up that bad. I fucked that up so badly. I don't know what I said to her. I don't know what I did. But yeah, it did end with like the game telling me you're never going to see this person again. So you spoke to a woman for the first time and based on your basic instincts, she refused to speak to you for the rest of eternity. Yeah, basically. How does that feel like as a man? Pretty awful. <laughs> like you're married, so it's fine. To be but... fair, I was very hungover. Okay. <laughs> Valid. And it's not always your fault because a roll of the dice can impact your relationships. Fair. You could get a bad roll and really fuck up an interaction. Entirely. When you see her, she greets you saying, hello, officer. Oh. And this makes you question, like, why'd, why'd you say that? And she comes to explain that you're a police officer. So why does she know that? And she tells you that you've been there for three days on official police business. She doesn't know what the business is, just that you've been drinking the entire time you've been here. Sounds about right. And she puts out her cigarette and goes to her room, and cop instinct just kind of takes over. And you can ask her some questions before she goes. Mm. You find out that you're in Revishal. Revishal. That's a beautiful name. It is. A lot of these are have like a French influence to it, I feel. Okay. Even though they are Estonian, I just I feel like France had a big influence on this. Okay, interesting. Revishal is a former capital. Okay. And it was under siege for 50 years during a war. Oh my god. But it's no longer under siege, but it's still recovering from that occupation. So it's a recently freed area. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And we find out that the year is apostrophe 51. Oh, something 51. <laughs> there are no century numbers. Okay. Uh, centuries have names. Oh. But the century gets their name after the century concludes. So this one is just always referred to as the current century. Gotcha. And they have been around for around 8,000 years because we're in that same universe that was created by Kurvitz. Gotcha. She says that she could hear you through the walls that you were playing really loud disco music all night. <laughs> I like that. Like time is a different concept here, but disco is forever. Like <laughs> through all timelines. Yeah, disco right. Per perseveres. <laughs> Hell yeah. And at 2 a.m. it changed to like really slow and sad songs. Oh, <laughs> that's when the lights came up. Yeah. And then after the really sad songs uh, ended, you started screaming and just started just thrashing the place. <laughs> that's great. And that you got quiet probably around 5 a.m. That's a long night. That is a long night. And then if you look at your clock, it's about 8.15 in the morning at this point. Oof. So you've gotten like no sleep. Yeah. And yeah, you, you threw your shoe out the fucking window. Probably don't smell great. <laughs> That's a lot of sweat. Yeah. Well, you uh, let her go and then you go downstairs and you meet Gart. Gart. And he is the cafeteria manager. Okay. And he does not like you very much. Oh, but as you get downstairs, you see that it's a it's a pretty decent sized restaurant slash bar. It's got a karaoke stage. It's got a couple tables. Fun. It's got a high top counter against the windows for like people to sit at. And there's like very, very few people. There's just a man in orange, a woman in a wheelchair and one passed out drunk. <laughs> and Gart is sitting at the bar and he's like messing with a taxidermied bird. Oh, my God. And you walk up and he sarcastically calls you. Hello, hero cop. <laughs> and he lets you know that you trashed the hotel <laughs> you haven't taken the body down yet the body you haven't solved the murder the murder you've done nothing but being a pain in the ass for the last three days oh my god 
And then he says, your buddy is standing over there. It really goes from find your shoe to like find the killer real fucking quick. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. You have no memory of anything. Do you, you know who you are or you why you're there? You don't even know who you are. Oh, you really drank yourself into a hole. You drank yourself into complete and total amnesia. Wow. Oopsies. And this is a big reason why it allows you to make it yourself. Because you start okay. with a blank slate of a human being. Fair enough. He had no idea that he was a cop even. So you're a man? You're a man. That's, That's about all you get? all you know. Wow. And you know what you look like at least. Yeah. And you're not happy with that either. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Poor guy. So you go over to the man in orange who is the, your buddy that he was pointing out. And he's kind of sitting over there and patiently waiting, tapping his foot. And he extends his hand as you approach. And he introduces himself as Lieutenant Kim Kitsuragi from Precinct 57. Hi, buddy. And you are from the 41st. Okay. So you're kind of piecing together who you are a little bit as you kind of go along. Gotcha. At this point, you can make up a name here or be called officer. Now, you don't get to, like, type in a name that you want to be called. Okay. It has some different names. So there's one that's Firewalker. There's Sunset Tequila. Ooh. And my personal favorite, Rafael Ambrosius Cousteau. Obviously go with that one. It is a fantastic name, isn't it? Oh, it's so... The namings in these are great. Why would you not want to be Rafael Ambrosius Cousteau? Sunset Tequila is like a gamer tag. Don't fucking do that one. <laughs> what Kim wants to do is interview the manager again, and then he wants to go and check out the crime scene. Okay, cool. Because this body has been hanging there for seven days straight at this point. That's bad police work. What it are you doing? Very bad police work. What the fuck? And you've been there for three days already. It probably smells like shit. You are a, not a great cop. I'm starting to get the feeling. If you've just arrived on day four, though, that's not entirely your fault. Like, they should have bagged that shit within the first 48. So you check your pockets and you realize you don't have your badge. Mm -hmm. You don't have your gun. So Kim's like, why don't you have these things? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm bad at this, man. I don't know where my shit is. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, so... You can use my radio and you can call your own precinct and get new ones sent out to you. That's fine. We'll handle that later. So in interviewing the manager again, Kim gets a few things out of him because he is a good cop. Ah, gotcha. He is actually a very, very competent cop. The bar manager's not from here. The place that is here is called Martinez. Martinez. Very so, French. You're right. Yeah. Martinez is a city in Revachol. He is from Jamrock which is just outside. That's cool. Which is not very French. No. And he manages a few locations of bars. So this is just him stopping at this location. Yeah. He's here because Sylvie, the old bartender, quit. Sylvie was the one who called the police to begin with. Oh, shit. Sylvie called the police and then dipped? Yeah. Suspicious. So you get Sylvie's phone number because you're going to call her when you go over to Kim's car to make a phone call. Yeah. The body is just kind of right around the corner uh, behind, like, the backside of the whirling and rags. Is it just, like, chilling on the ground? No, it's hanging from a tree. Oh, my God, that's worse. Yeah, they still haven't taken it down after seven days. So it's, like, wafting. This place must smell fucking terrible. And there's a hole in the fence that you can go through, and Gart looks at you very accusingly when he's talking about this hole. <laughs> you're a mess <laughs> i love it and sylvie quit because gart had asked for her phone number Ooh. 
then Gart lets you know that you happen to owe 130 Rayal. <laughs> and Rayal is the money. Fair. And your tie tells you to arrest this man. Oh. Now your tie talks to you when you're stressed out. I was going to ask if that was code for something. Nope, your tie is semi-sentient when you get stressed out. A little bit. So in this game, a lot of things can talk to you that aren't real. Because you're not okay. You're not okay in the head at all. Got it. And you can be a drug addict. You can be an alcoholic. You can choose not to be those things. And if you do, things will start talking to you. That's great. You'll start tripping out. You'll start having hallucinations. And since you're extremely hungover right now, your tie is especially talking to you. That's fucking great. You know, I used to be fun and do fun drugs. And uh, sometimes the day after... Some colors are louder than others, and uh, <laughs> I feel you. Sometimes you're staring at a painting, and it starts to move around, and you're like, I took that shit two days ago. Why is this still happening? It's hard. I get it. Yeah, this game also gets very cerebral, so you'll talk to your own brain a lot. Oh. And you'll talk to different parts of your brain. You'll talk to different parts of your body and check in, be like, your limbic system, be like, you good, buddy? And it's like, yeah, everything's operating great over here. It is an intense weird game this team's done a lot of acid they've done so many drugs this is past shrooms (laughs) oh my god yeah they have an intricate intricate system they've developed here of drugs of drugs this is a lot very cool (laughs) little things like that can happen from time to time but you let him know that you're gonna pay later okay him or the tie no you let gart know okay you're you're like tie calm down buddy and you're gonna need to make some money throughout the game to pay this off You also realize you don't know at all where you're from. (laughs) You don't know where home is or anything. Gotcha. But you exit the bar and now you are free to explore Martinez at your leisure. Martinez is such a pretty name. Oh, I love that. It is a good, good name, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And you are just presented with this huge, beautiful watercolor world. Oh, love it. And it is what I would refer to as just gorgeous destruction. And it feels fully lived in. There's graffiti. There's cracked roads. And then like underneath this thin layer of snow, you can see the roads used to be mosaic tiles. And yeah, it's just very European and very something that we don't get to feel here in the U.S. at all. Yeah. Pretty. (laughs) Pretty and old and like an old that we just don't have. You know, there's a difference between our 300 years old and their thousand years old. That's fair. Yeah. You know. And there's so much to explore. There's stores that are boarded up. There's like a bookstore. There's a general store called Frit. Frit. And you can make money recycling there. In order to recycle, you need to equip a bag into your left hand. And then you go around, you see a glass bottle, you pick it up and throw it in the bag. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So let's talk about equipping for just a moment. So it kind of explains how the rest of the game works. Okay. And equipping affects your stats and your bonuses to rolls. Oh, like how you said with a silly hat. With a silly hat. Yeah. It's actually very similar to South Park. (laughs) That is like the only time that I'll say this is similar to South Park. You say that more often than you realize. I (laughs) I know. Well, South Park really borrowed from a lot of great games, too. Yeah. And so the clothing increases your stats in certain ways or can decrease your stats in certain ways. Totally. And so you can also, if you know you're going to be going into a certain situation, stack your clothes in a way to make your stats better. Fair enough. But yeah, they can make you look ridiculous. They can make you look cool as shit. But you get your left hand, your right hand. You get your feet, your shirt, your pants, your tie, your glasses, and your hat. And your silly hat. And your silly hat. And then there's also in Martinez a pawn shop. That's where you can make some money selling shit. 
And there's a big group of shipping trucks, and they're called lorries. Lorries. Very, very uh, European. Yeah. And there's just tons and tons of people to talk to. Very cool. As we said, there's 300 different, like, voiced characters. Some of those are in your head. <laughs> Some of them are, your, like, your tie and your lymph node system. And we're honestly not going to talk to nearly any of them, like while we're going through this game tonight. No, that would take way too long. It would That's take whole way season. too long. No, this game can take, you know, about 20 hours if you're just casually playing through it, uh -huh. not trying to, like, hit everything but not skipping too much. Gotcha. A completionist can honestly take up to about 45 hours playing this game. Jesus, more than double. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. There is so much to explore. Oof. Like, I watched a trailer, and I'm like, I didn't see any of this. There were certain <laughs> things, and I was like, damn, I didn't see that at any point. And I've gone through this a couple times now yeah and it's not like the south park trailer where they purposely put out a trailer with nothing that actually ended up in the game no this was the trailer for the final cut which the game had already come out at that point so <laughs> this was just stuff that they were showing off again that's wild and then in total this game can take place over the course of 10 days mm -hmm. or it can go as quickly as four days oh interesting yeah it just depends on how well you investigate Ah. We're going for a four-day run. Okay. <laughs> we got to get back home to wherever the fuck we were because this bender's really taking its toll. Yeah, so we're going to stick with main, main, main story. Fair. There is so much to explore, and I really encourage anybody listening to play this game because it is, even knowing what the main story is going to tell you, there's twice as much to explore in Martinez. Very cool. For example, some of the people that you get to run into, right outside the Whirling Rags, there's this woman sitting on a bench, and she's a gardener. But she works in a greenhouse that is nearby where the body is hanging. Oh, shit. And she's grateful that you're going to take the body down because she's been using a whole bunch of smelling salts to kill the smell at this point. <laughs> My only concern has been addressed is how smelly this fucking decomposing corpse is. And she's like, I'm going through all my smelling salts. Yeah. She's like, I'm just not working right now because I can't stand the smell oh, any longer. Poor girl. And then there's also like a bunch of dark alleys you can go down. There's going to be a pier that we find later. You're going to come to explore almost every single inch of this map, uncovering mysteries. Very cool. One area you should explore as soon as possible is the alley behind the Whirling and Rags. Is that where your shoe was? No, this is where the dead body is. Oh, oh, god damn it. And as you approach the fence with the hole in it, your cop instincts kick in. And you can notice the tire marks in the snow that indicate a car crashed through the fence a couple of days ago and then took off. Ooh. And you can potentially feel a sense of guilt about this. Well, it sounds like the manager kind of blamed you for the hole in the fence, too. <laughs> so that's bad. Yeah, with a dice roll, yeah, you, you can feel pretty guilty about it. <laughs> you don't know why, but you can. You kind of know why. So you get behind the whirling and rags, and you can see a body hanging from a tree, and it is bloated and naked except for boots. Ew. Next to the tree is a red-headed terror child. <laughs> terror child. Named Kuno. Kuno. Kuno is the local cockney-ass meth heads kid. <laughs> oh. He is an absolute fucking mess. And he is described as being almost exquisite in his ugliness. <laughs> like That's a terrible. gremlin. Just a full little gremlin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. He's just hanging out next to the dead body. And he, that's where he likes to hang out the majority of his day. Yeah, he's a fucked up kid. <laughs> he does speed. He does meth himself. Oh. He probably deals it on the side. Yeah. And he's a real dumb piece of shit. 
Yeah. Meth, meth heads aren't known for being the smarter of the group. No, and he was homeschooled by meth heads on top of it. Oh, yikes. And he's got this, like, little cousin also peeking over the fence that harasses you and hypes up Kuno, like, the entire time while you're talking to him. Hmm. And her name is Kuno S. Oh, my God. Fuck off. <laughs> I hate these people so much. So you question Kuno about the dead body because who else is there to ask? And Kuno claims to have been out of town when the body showed up. What, did he have an appointment? Yeah, Fuck he, off. he said he was at a place called Night City. This place does not exist. There it is. <laughs> they both often speak in a dialect that you also don't understand. Oh. Kind of like Brad Pitt in Snatch. Okay. You know, how nobody can understand what the fuck they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of have the same kind of thing going. Okay. Next, you do kind of your cop routine. And this is very similar. It reminds me of like an L.A. Noir, Ooh. a Batman Arkham game, something mm -hmm. like that, where you're doing an investigation. Yeah. And you can tell that it's decaying, that it's bloated. You do a skill check just to not throw up. <laughs> and the only thing he's wearing are super high-end military-style boots. Ooh. Also some underwear. Okay. So you don't see like a dead, bloated ween. No, not yet. Yet. The armor is valued at four times your annual salary holy shit so like the full armor set not just the boots but that's all that's there but still so where is the rest of the armor and the local probably like scavenged it over time i would shit also why is he naked otherwise was mm -hmm. he naked before they hung him up was he naked after they hung him up and if you try to remove the boots kim stops you oh because the body is so old pulling on it could rip the head off ah <laughs> ah so if you want to steal them, you're going to have to wait until Kim's not watching. Fair enough. Then they also noticed that the rope that was used to hang the body used the same kind of uh, rope that dock workers use on boats. Okay. It's steel reinforced. Okay. Kim mentions that there is a strike between the dock workers union and their bosses going on right now. Oh, shit. So there might be a connection to that. The corpse has a bunch of constellation tattoos, but it's also leaving out like a whole bunch of constellations. Hmm. And it's scattered across its chest. Kim does have a camera and he's like, I only have two shots on this camera. So I need like everybody to stand still, move out of the way because <laughs> this world that we're living in, it's 51, but I would say it's like late 1979. Okay. You know, like late, late seventies, early eighties kind of era. So he's got like this Polaroid style camera. Gotcha. And so he only has very limited pictures left Two, to be precise. He takes his picture and you get to see the picture and it is just a beautiful grotesque watercolor painting of a body hanging you know like the, the the guy who did the art on this masterful artist very cool yeah and so even though you're looking at a corpse this is wonderful use of color <laughs> wonderful looking thing and you get to see this body hanging there but you can also make out that there's the constellation tattoos across his chest a successful skill check allows you to talk to the corpse oh because you can talk to all sorts of things. Of course you can. It can't really tell you anything, really, because, again, this is all really in your head. Right. It's really just more your investigative skills putting a story together. Totally. It can't tell you things like who he is or who killed him. But after investigating, you agree that the man probably died by lynching. Oh. Now you need to figure out how to get him down, because you don't have a ladder. The rope is wire reinforced, and you don't have bolt cutters. And you can't saw the tree branch because you don't have a saw. So you're going to have to come back to this later. Okay. As you inspect the area, you find a ton of boot marks. 
and you do your investigation again, and you see that there were roughly six to 12 people milling about under the tree. Huh. And a successful skill check will show you that you've got eight pairs of boots. Okay. And you're able to identify types and sizes of every single pair. Okay. And most of them are steel-toed work boots. Gotcha. Also, you can tell by the depth of the track the rough size of each person that you're looking for. Okay, fair enough. And now you have like a group profile between you and Kim. You next try to open a nearby dumpster, but you realize you need a key from the whirling of rags. So you got to go back and talk to him. It is possible to shoot the rope and get him down, but I did not get him down for another two days when oh. I played through this. <laughs> so it can be tricky. Gotcha. It can be hard. Yeah. Uh, he stayed up there for an additional two days rotting. That gardener must have fucking hated you. Everybody hated me. It was pretty bad. But if you get him down successfully, you have to perform a field autopsy with Kim. Oh, gross. And Kim will take him to the coroner for final evaluation afterwards. Before you do that, you should go talk to this guy who is the dock workers union boss. Okay. His name is Everard Clare. Since dock workers equipment was clearly used, you want to get a little bit more information about this. Totally valid. Also, there is a strike negotiator that has been sent in to settle the strike, and that's somebody you should probably talk to as well. Gotcha. So you finish up your field autopsy, take like basic information you can gather just by observation, and some skill checks can reveal more and more about the corpse. Ooh, very exciting. Let's learn who this mystery dead person is. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? You don't even know who you are as a living person. And you're trying to figure out this dead guy. You have a lot on your plate. You need to eat something. You know, that's funny. They don't actually address food. Oh. I mean, you can eat snacks and stuff, but like you don't have to like sit down and eat. You're absolutely right. That's, that's kind of weird. I love eating in video games. It's like my favorite fucking thing. Right? It is a pretty good mechanic, even though you get absolutely like nothing from it as a human being. I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I just I feel like whoever you are, Officer Cousteau or Officer Sunset Tequila... You deserve a sandwich. You've had a weird, weird morning. It's probably, what, 11 a.m. at this point? So you've had a weird day. Yep. <laughs> but you got to get the key from Gart to open the dumpster just to see if there's anything relevant in there first. Gart's not going to give you the key. He doesn't fucking like you. He doesn't like you, but he doesn't really mind Kim too much. Okay. So he does give up the key pretty easily. And when you go in there... They find your police notebook. Oh, no, it was thrown away. With all of your notes in it. Oh, you're a fucking moron. And there's no really useful notes in it anyway. Is it just dumb shit like frogs are good, yeah. maybe evil? Question mark. <laughs> Idea, rocket ship. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, poor, poor guy. And uh, Kim just kind of looks at you like, really? Poor Kim. He's he just doesn't realize just how bad it is. Because when you introduced yourself, you just said, just call me officer. Yeah. <laughs> officer, what was it, Cousteau? Cousteau, yeah. Yeah. Off to find Everart Claire. There you go. You go into the shipping yard, and as you get there, you manage to find your lost police coat that you didn't even know you were missing. Your shit is just strewn across town. <laughs> what the fuck? It was just like hanging on a railing. And again, Kim just kind of looks at you like, dude, you suck. Why are you so bad at this, officer? And you go through and it's this kind of cool area where it's shipping containers and they're used to like make a city kind of like route kind of stuff. OK, cool. So like there's some some townage in there. Yeah. And there's like one that's even like a mystery one that's locked that you can get into later. There's a Ooh. whole side quest going on in that one later. 
Very cool. And you work your way through until you find one that is like wide open. And there's a man sitting on a nearby ledge and he asks you if you're a scab worker. Uh Oh, you never want to be a scab worker. No. And he explains that Everart is a great man who stands up for the rights of workers. Okay, very cool. That Everart grew up in Martinez and that he is there and he is here for the people and that he is just a very good, solid man. He's also right inside that container right over there. No way. (laughs) And if you wear this button, (laughs) you'll show your appreciation for all his hard work. Also, can you give us some money? Right. (laughs) See through this shit. You go inside and you meet Everard, and he is just immediately this giant skeevy looking dude. Oh, no. He's described as a walrus of a man. A walrus of a man is such a good way to describe someone. And he welcomes you and he goes, Mr. Dubois, Mr. Kitsuragi, good to see you. Dubois? Says he heard Gart was being a dick and hands you a comically large check to cover your expenses. Oh, shit. Wait, I really want to get back to the fact that he knows your name. We'll get back to it. Okay. Because, yeah, that doesn't, like, just fly by anybody. Okay. (laughs) I bet Kim just thinks you're such a piece of shit. He's like, he fucking told me he was Sunset Tequila. (laughs) So you have the choice to accept the comically large check or to not. Do you take a bribe from a scary walrus or not? A man you literally just met, as far as you know. Yeah. Ooh, spooky. He also lets you know that he heard all about your lost gun and that the trusted union members that he has are on the hunt. Ooh. How did he find out about your lost gun? He knows everything. He's fucking Carmine Falcone of this world. Well, now instead of calling you Mr. Dubois, he's just calling you Harry. Harry Dubois. And your brain keeps wondering why this guy keeps calling you Mr. Dubois or Harry or whatever. So does my brain. Because that's not your name. Hmm. Over the course of your questioning, he's super condescending towards you. Of course. Sarcastically referring to you as peak physical condition. <laughs> this guy weighs like 400 pounds himself. Like he is nobody to judge anyone. He's described as a walrus. Yeah. <laughs> and he says that since you keep calling him Everart, he should be able to call you Harry. Hmm. If you let it known that you don't remember anything... He also reveals that he had heard that, but he just didn't believe it. Okay. Because he's like, who the fuck actually has amnesia? That's ridiculous. That's, are you on a soap opera? Yeah. <laughs> Is your evil twin going to come in too? Calm down. And so he drops a big fat folder on his desk that he says that he secured from inside sources from your people. Ooh. And he says that your full name is Harry Dubois. You have no family. Oh. You are one of the greatest cops to ever live. That's not true. Says that when you solve this case, you'll be the biggest star cup the world has ever known. And you get a flash of a woman in some far distant place reading about your accomplishments and saying to herself, I never should have left him. Oh, I just feel bad for Kim because Kim is like, this is the biggest fucking moron. (laughs) This is a prank that my boss played on me. Apparently he's hot shit. This is terrible. Well, Kim's actually even smarter than that. He's like, that's not a police folder. Oh. Hell yeah, Kim. <laughs> Knock his shit down. I, Kim's the only person I trust and like in this game. And everyone's like, all right, all right. I actually got it from the Census Bureau. Ah. I got a guy over there. Okay, interesting. Everything he said about like getting it from the police is all bullshit. But all the data is factual. How do we Allegedly. Know? Allegedly. Okay. Yeah. He's just calling you Harry Dubois. Mm, he okay. does know Kim's name. 
Interesting. Okay. So he says that he knows that the hanging does have to do with the strike, but that he won't talk to you about it until you do something for him. Oh. And he needs you to unlock a door for him so he can deal with a weasel of a person. Mm. And he just wants the person to come home and see the door unlocked. He doesn't want anybody to go inside. He just he wants the person to come home, see that it's unlocked. So it freaks him out. Okay. Send a message. Right. So because it's nothing like terrible, you agree to go do it. Kim is just like, this guy just wants people to think that he has the cops working for him. Yeah, it's fucking smoke and mirrors. Yeah. He's like, this guy is just all full of bullshit. But all right, we need him to talk. So let's just go unlock this guy's door. He then gives you an access card that allows you to explore like a bit more of Martinez after that. Okay, so you can unlock more of the map after this interaction. Yeah, there's parts that get sealed off. So that way it does like contain you for a little bit. But yeah, so there's a lot of exploration early on. Plenty, plenty of exploration. So you run around Martinez and you meet its colorful cast of characters. Like there's one very racist, dark skinned man. And here's the thing is that we can't use like traditional race identifiers here because this, again, is an alternate universe. Okay, right. It's Earth like, but it's not Earth. Right. So like what we would call an Asian person is a Sengalese. Okay. A white person is an Occidental. (laughs) Sorry, that one sounds funny. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, it goes on and on with other invented races. Okay, interesting. And so... There is a lot of racism in this because politics are involved, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's not racism like you and I know it today. Right. They have their own kind of like racial biases going on. It's organically developed because that's what humans do, unfortunately. But these are a different kind of human. <laughs> Through 8,000 years of history that they have. Totally. Eventually, you meet a woman on a boat on the outskirts of town, and her name is Joyce Messier. And she's like this attractive, mid-50s, like Maggie Smith looking lady. Ooh, hey, girl. And she represents Wild Pines, the owners of the harbor. So she is that strike negotiator that we were also going to go talk to anyway. Oh, very cool. So she's like on the site in her boat, ready to strike. Right. She ate. Rah, rah. From very far away. She does not like to be up close with the action by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, could you imagine? That would be terrible. She is very wealthy. She is a negotiator. She's actually the second negotiator to get sent in on this. (laughs) The last guy quit. Oh, no. (laughs) Never a good sign. Yeah, I guess Everart was being very condescending towards him to the point that he was just like, I I don't want to deal with this guy anymore. I can't deal with this mob boss of a man anymore. And now Joyce can't even get a meeting with Everart, so. Well, she's taking to the sea. (laughs) He can't leave his shipping container and she can't leave her boat, so we're at a crossroads. (laughs) There you go. But because you don't have your badge, she's like, I don't have any reason to believe you or trust you so i'm not going to answer any of your questions can she talk to kim no because you're still there okay got it yeah so that's kind of the whole thing she's like i like i do believe you're a cop but my bosses won't let me talk to you unless i absolutely confirm you're a cop that's very valid yeah and just good advice don't talk to someone if they say they're a cop but don't have a badge in this earth trust that advice but there are some things she's willing to spill because she doesn't feel like these are things that are necessarily bad to spill. Okay. Some just some valid points. In investigating the harbor during the strike, Wild Pines realized it was the main hub of all drug trade for the region. Just trafficking, no production, but the union controls all of it. Oh, interesting. And one driver of the trucks that are all stopped is like the head of all of it. Do they know which driver? They don't know which driver it is. Mm. They don't even know if it's a true rumor. 
Okay. She wants you to, at the very least, confirm this rumor. Okay. So if you can get this rumor confirmed, even if you don't have your badge, she'll talk to you. Interesting. So you wander around some more, and you want to go try to figure some of this stuff out. You return to Everard, and he'll tell you that the Hanging Man was hired by Wild Pines to intimidate the strikers. Oh, shit. Oh, that's creepy. He says that they responded to a legal strike with armed mercenaries. (gasps) Oh! No. Just like that guy hanging in the tree. Damn. If that's true, that's fucked up. Says that that man was drunk, violent, and a little rapey. Yeah. Joyce failed to rein him in when she was brought in to keep him in check. And now she's taken to the sea. So he explains that Martinez doesn't have a police force traditionally. Okay. So this is why also that body didn't get taken down yet. And that's why you and Kim are from different precincts and had to come in. Interesting. That is exactly why you're both there. Gotcha. Because a real crime occurred and that required real police work. This takes more than street justice. The union does have a group of people whose duty it is to keep the peace in town. And they handle any problems their own way. So if someone acts up, they're the ones that punish them. Got it. Interesting. They call themselves the Hardy Boys. Stop. <laughs> Wait, that's so cute. Oh, I love the idea that, you know, because it's a D&D adventure that they like kind of crafted over time, that this was just kind of like a little nod to their childhood favorite books and shit. Oh, hell yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So their leader, Titus Hardy, let Everart know that his team went ahead and took care of the mercenary that was causing problems in town. Man, take care of is such loose language. He's not worried that you and Kim are going to arrest them because there's seven of them and there's just two of you and they're all huge. (laughs) He's like, you guys don't stand a chance. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And he knows Wild Pines hired the mercenaries because they've done this before at like other unions and other areas. So this is a pattern. Yeah, this is a complete pattern of Wild Pines. One of the other times that they did it, the people were just striking for the right to wear protective footwear. They literally were like, we just want to wear steel toe boots because we're in- around machinery. Yeah, so Wild Pines hired mercenaries to come in and beat the shit out of the protesters until they stopped protesting. Ironically, with steel toed boots. Right, exactly. Fuck me. <laughs> so now he's got like all these people wanting to scab during this current strike, and they're all people that he's never seen before. None of them are from the town of Martinez. Oh, so a lot of people just came in to work because they saw that there was a strike and they're opportunistic about it he points out that the leader of the scabs is like four times the size of a normal human being that what the fuck he's like that guy's just here to intimidate everybody he's a walrus of a man so he thinks all the scabs are just like paid to come in and just cause a scene holy shit this is so dramatic right more so than just a hanging guy out the back of whirling and rags right it is so much worse Yeah, he mentions, that. Uh, yeah, Joyce and I, we've never even met yet. And as you leave, he does give you a paper that requires a couple of signatures. And he needs you to go across the canal, which is closed until Wednesday. But he needs you to go get some signatures from people. What, is he having you fucking campaign for him now? You have the option of reading what you're getting signatures for. Yeah. And you have the option of not reading it. Oh. If you mm. want to read it, we'll talk about it later. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll wait till Wednesday. Okay. What day is it today? Monday. Gotcha. Yes. Of course it's Monday. It's always a fucking Monday. It's always a fucking Monday. (laughs) Fuck me. So you decide to go out and head to the protest and see these scabs and the uh, gigantic leader. 
And you find him, and yeah, he is huge, and he is demanding the right to work while the dock workers are on strike. But he's all talk and not much action, and he doesn't really have much to offer. He's just flapping around being loud. Yeah, he is really just there to be loud and intimidating. Everyone hates that guy at the bar. Oh, and he is that guy at the bar entirely. Ugh. You decide to go and make a phone call to Sylvie, that girl who reported the hanging man. Oh, yeah. the uh, She was the bar manager and then she quit. And that's why Guard is here. Yes. And she is upset as soon as she realizes she's on the phone with you. Oh. She's like, oh, it's you. Oh, shit. You can do a skill check and it will reveal that she quit because of you, not because of Gart hitting on her. Oh, this is way worse. Says you were drunkenly waving your gun around. Then you were waving money around saying guns can't buy money, but money can always buy guns. <laughs> you don't have a great grasp of commerce. You can absolutely exchange guns for money. That's how you sell things, you dumbass. And she's like, just to prove yourself wrong, you went and pawned your gun after that. Oh, Harry, 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 you dumb sack of shit. She said she could handle you being drunk, but the skua situation was just too much. The skua situation? A skua is a bird, and they had a taxidermied one in the bar. Oh, right. Gert was messing with it. You said, fuck this bird, and threw it at a wall. (laughs) Never mind. I love Harry again. This is hysterical. It had been giving you shit ever since you got there. Yep. I'm (laughs) back on his team. I love this. Fuck that bird. You're also experimenting in your room, seeing just how bad you could let it get. Oh. And all she wanted to do was have it cleaned, and you wouldn't let her. And you screamed, you're the coolest guy in jam rock, and how much you love disco. (laughs) Harry's the worst. I love him so much. Turns out, she was actually really flattered when Gart asked her out. Oh. But she didn't get a chance to accept his date because the dead body showed up the next day. And she went, you know what? New life. Yeah. I'm going to start a new life. <laughs> I'm leaving town. Fuck my job. Pay out my PTO. I'm done. Well, if you want to see your morale go down, you can also call your precinct and let them know that you've misplaced your badge and your gun because they will ridicule and make fun of you and just laugh. It is just like them calling more and more people over to the radio like, guys, guys, come here. Come here. You'll never believe what he did. Guess what dumb shit ass Dubois did. Yeah, they keep referring to like a fictional character. Like if they were like saying like, hey, come see what Columbo did over here. You know, (laughs) that's great. Oh, I love it. Does the precinct call you Harry or do they just say officer? They keep referring to you as that superstar cop, like the Columbo. I can't remember what they were referring to. Their version of like a TV show cop. Okay, so it's it's like if they called him a tough guy or some some shit like that. Right. So nothing definitive from work. But your partner does get on the phone and he is pissed that you have no idea who he is. <laughs> like he is furious with you. That's valid. But you just keep trying to explain like guys, I have no memory of shit. But apparently your gun's at the pawn shop. Yeah, you're starting to piece some of these things together. I love Sylvie. God bless her. Like, you and I work waited tables and been in service industry. And sometimes you do have that night where you're like, why am I here? <laughs> like, there was one night I was cocktailing and someone waved a gun in the bar and then pulled out a taser and zapped it. And if you've heard a, a taser zap in a bar, it's eerily loud. Like, oh TV God. does not do it justice. So no. It was those little hand tasers, not the kind that shoot out, but... The zap is people stop what they're doing and they turn around and go, what the fuck? And I went, 
that was my section. I'm going in the back. I'm going to eat a creme brulee and I'll be back in 10 minutes. And my boss was like, absolutely. I will comp it for you. And I got comped a creme brulee. I sat near the walk-in like about to cry. Like they pulled out a gun. <laughs> they're, they're like threatening to tase people. Can you just comp their meal? I want to go. I'm 19. <laughs> oh, but I didn't, thing. but I didn't quit. Nope. <laughs> so whatever Sylvie went, there was emotionally worse for her than that was for me. You were still working there when you were 21 when I met you. I was. Yep. I was. Yeah, I was there for years. It paid for college for me, genuinely. It was a fucking great job, aside from the gunplay. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I missed that job. Well, another person that you can meet is a person named Tommy Lahome. Lahome. Now, he is not as dumb as Tommy as we've met in the past on this show. <laughs> He's not dumb shit-ass Tommy. He's a little bit brainless, though, I guess you could say, but he's oh. brainless in a harmless way. Uh, he's a truck driver who is stuck in the traffic jam caused by the strike. And he is a perfectly non-political guy. Uh, he's sober. He does not involve himself with the drug stuff that's going on. He's just kind of like this chill hippie dude who doesn't even like smoke weed. He just wants to do his job. He just wants to do his job and go home. He's guarding his truck right now. He just wants to make sure nobody messes with it. Valid. Yeah. And no, he's not doing any of the drugs. If you want to check, you're totally fine to check out his lorry. He has no problem with you. And he does, that checks out as clean. That does check out as clean. Okay. Yeah. No, totally. He's, <laughs> my ass is like, don't trust him. He's an absolutely like solid dude. He does say that the big guy leading the scabs is nobody he's ever seen before though. Hmm. Yeah. But he does know that there are some truck drivers who are in on the drug game. He's not a snitch though. He doesn't want to like rat anybody out. He just is like, there's some shit going down. I'm not going to point a finger though. Yeah. But just so you know, it's not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wants I, to stay out of it. I want to go home. <laughs> yeah. I like Tommy a lot. He's a pretty chill dude. Cool. I mentioned earlier, and you mentioned earlier, and a bunch of people mentioned earlier, <laughs> the pawn shop. Oh, yeah. You need to go check that out because you've just heard now that you may or may not have pawned your gun. <laughs> you decide to go to the pawn shop. Gotcha. When you get there, you can sell some random items you pick up on your journey for money so you can pay off Gart. And when you meet the pawn shop owner, he tells you that you did, in fact, sell him your gun. Sylvie wasn't lying. But that he has already sold it. Oh, shit. To a little old lady. Wait, that's pretty darling. I love everything about that. You go get you some, Grandma. Yeah, he knows nothing other than the fact that it's an old lady. Because, you know, he doesn't rat his people out either. Hell yeah. I like the fucking camaraderie between everyone here. Like, snitches get stitches. Fuck that shit. We got a walrus man out here regulating the streets. We're not going to cross him. He's gigantic. Oh, very much. Everybody in Martinez knows you're an outsider because it's a small town. Totally. And also you've been there for three days on a drunken bender. Ruining shit. So you've created quite the reputation for yourself on top of that. Yeah, you've come in like a tornado and <laughs> these people are like, we have our own shit to deal with. We don't have time to fix you. He also mentions that a couple of dock workers came in the day before asking about a police gun very specifically. So they knew that a gun had been in police care and that had shown up at the pawn shop. So dock workers might have either been at the bar and antagonized you. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. I'm excited. <laughs> Ooh, I'm Sherlocking this. But also remember, Everart said some of his best guys were off looking for your gun for you. Oh, okay, that's fair. And that's a valid place to start is check the pawn shops. See if yeah. this dumbass checked it. But is it what you said? Or is it what Everett said? I don't know. By this time, night should be falling on your first day. You had a long day. It's been a long day already. And time works in a weird fucking way in this game. 
Okay. So like wandering around Martinez, no time's going to pass. Oh. But if you talk to somebody, time's going to pass. Huh. So it's not linear the way like a GTA is like 48 minutes equals two hours or whatever the fucking equivalent is. Right. Interesting. If you read a book, time can pass. If you sit on a bench, time can pass. Just like in real life. Yeah, but there's like certain times when time won't pass for you. So like in GTA, I had to do a mission where I had to do something for 10 days and it took eight hours of real world time to get through (laughs) the 10 days. Yeah, not like that at all. It's interesting that time moves in specific circumstances. That's a little unique. It is. Time will move differently depending on the different things you do as well. So it's uh, it's hard to get through time on this. Interesting. But you can also accidentally waste a ton. <laughs> if you just sit, grab yourself a snack and come back, you're like, fuck, the sun's down. Yeah, which is why it took two days for me to get this body down. Just I kept running out of fucking time. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you can go to sleep if you want, but you have to pay Gart back if you want access to your room. Like in Inventing Anna, she gets kicked out of all the host hotels for <laughs> <laughs> trashing the rooms and not paying. And like... Kim is a pretty badass dude, and he kind of intimidates Gart down quite a bit. Hell yeah, Kim. He's like, first off, we're doing a police investigation here. Don't sit here and, like, get in the way of that by bothering us with our fucking bill. You have a bill problem? Send it off to our precinct. They'll handle that shit. Hell yeah. He's like, I'm not on vacation, fucko. I'm working. And so Gart's like, all right, fine. I'm going to charge you for the broken window, though. Valid. Yeah, you did throw a shoe out a window. Kim's like, yeah, sorry, I can't help you with that one. (laughs) Kim's like, you gotta (laughs) talk to your expense team on that shit. I'm not bailing you out. But if you don't have enough money, this is how you find out Kim is like a car aficionado. Oh, what a cool uh, thing for him to be. Yeah, he says, all right, you don't have the money. I've got some spinner rims in my car we can pawn. What a fucking cool dude. Hell yeah, Kim. Those spinners? Those were the coolest fucking things. He was going to have spinners installed on his cop car. (laughs) That's so fucking badass. Yeah, if you get Kim in like some like serious like one-on-one moments, he'll talk about all the upgrades he's done to his cop car and shit like that. He's modded his work car? Oh, he's modded the fuck out of it. That's fucking sick. He's got that thing souped up and jacked. Fucking Martinique Customs over here. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, he's got a huge loud muffler on it and everything. (laughs) bunch of kicker boom boxes in the back (laughs) hell yeah and it's great because kim looks like a 50 year old just like asian man like very skinny just he looks like he keeps to himself very much but then you find out that he is kind of this like cool car guy he's secretly fast and furious about it yeah entirely that's fucking sick hell yeah kim and yeah you pawn off these spinner rims and you can get some money and pay off your bill Cool. Kim goes to his room, which is right next to your room, and before he decides to go to bed, he likes to break down the day with you. That's a good way that you can kind of do a checklist of outstanding things to do in your next day of gameplay and stuff. Yeah, and it's actually how your character finds out that Kim smokes cigarettes. Because huh. that's just the only time of the day. He's just like, nope, I only smoke when I'm breaking down my day at the end. It's my Have little one treat. cigarette. Yeah, that's <laughs> his little treat to himself. And he actually kind of gives like little assessments on how he thinks you're doing. I just feel like I know you tailor this to however you approach gameplay and approach storytelling and approach problem solving. I feel like Kim's going to feel like you're an idiot no matter (laughs) how you play, just because in comparison, he's a very competent, put together man and you're a fucking disaster. Yeah, he's uh, he's still making an opinion on you, really. 
Valid. After day one, he's still just getting to know you. But he's like, it's a little weird that you don't have a memory and <laughs> you allegedly trashed this town. But let's see how this goes. You're so quirky. Right. <laughs> Manic pixie dream officer. And now you have the choice of running around town and just continue investigating. You can party or you can just go to sleep. Continue the bender. Let's fucking party. <laughs> I want to rage. This is also the best moment to go get those boots off the corpse. Oh, right. And you can probably pawn those, right? If you'd want to do that, you can do that as well. Or, or wear them, right? Or wear them. It is up to you what you want to do. So open world. I love it. Oh, yeah. Entirely. When you do decide to go to sleep, your deep subconscious just starts to fuck with you. I've seen parts of this over your shoulder, and this is the sexy voice that has been living rent-free in my head. I want, <laughs> like, this is the Idris Elba voice that I want to fucking follow me around and make fun of me for being a moron with. Like, this is the reptilian fucking voice here. It's yeah. so fucking beautiful. The cerebral portion of the game. This really rounds out who you are as a person, too. They ask you all sorts of questions. Like philosophy questions? A lot of philosophy questions. How do you feel about this? They'll give you scenarios to break down just to see who you are, you know? Okay, very cool. Oh, it's so cool. And it's so different. But you're also, during this whole time, you're heavily suicidal, like, for a lot oh. of it. Uh, you want to see yourself as the hangman, actually. Oh, God. And you go into this dream sequence where you walk to the back behind the whirling of rags and you look up at the dead body and it's you hanging there. Ah. And there's a disco ball above your head and it's spinning around and you're like kind of just looking at yourself. You're like, yeah, I wish that was me. You do love disco. Yeah. And you talk to your corpse a little bit and the corpse tells you the story about how she left you with a bottle in one hand and your dick in the other. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, he is. A <laughs> He's a mess. He is a deep, dark character, isn't he? <sighs> Deep and dark is right. He's been through some shit. He's got a lot to discover about himself still. He's clearly got a lot to unpack. That's very fair. Well, you wake up the next day and you go downstairs and Kim is waiting for you. And if you didn't do it the day before, you can talk to the lady in the wheelchair. Now, her name is Lena and she is referred to as the cryptozoologist's wife. <laughs> as opposed to the time traveler's wife. <laughs> I love that. I hope she has business cards made. And she is stranded here at the Whirling and Rags while her husband is stuck on the other side of the canal. The reason why the canal is shut down is because somebody drove their car into the bridge crossing the canal. And it was fucking you, you probably, you dumb sack of shit. I don't trust Harry. I feel like everything wrong in this town is Harry's fault. It should all be up and working by tomorrow, though, so we should be fine. Uh, she would call him, but the phone line at the Whirling and Rag has been cut. Oh, no. Now, her husband, Moral, is... As we said, a cryptozoologist. Is that the study of animals? Well, he hunts creatures that are called phasmids. Phasmids. And think of them as kind of our mythological creatures. Like a Bigfoot? Or unicorns, that kind of stuff. Ooh. He's actually like, he thinks of himself kind of like as a Newt Scamander doing like <laughs> a fantastic beast and where to find them. Oh, that's very fun. But he's a lot more a Xenophilius love good, hunting things that don't exist. Very cool. Or a Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah. <laughs> looking for Bigfoot. Yeah. Sorry. I know that's a Harry Potter reference that's pretty deep. You got to know Harry Potter, but. And on mine, you have to know comedy, I guess. So. <laughs> Fair on both fronts. But basically, people who look for shit that's wild. Yeah. But his specifically are things that nobody believes exists anyway. 
Got it. Loch Ness monster hunters, shit like that. Entirely. And the creature he is here for is an insect phasmid. As an insect size or insect inspired? Uh, as an insect size. Okay. Yeah. Scared as one of uh, Cave Johnson's praying mantis army. <laughs> it's like, how wild is this going to get? Okay, we're looking for a mythical bug. It's going to get wild. Oh. You agree that if you do see him, you'll let him know that she's looking for him. Now, in the bar, there is a new group of people that weren't there the day before. And there is precisely seven people in this group. One man is standing at the head of the group. And as you approach, that gardener from outside approaches you and stops you saying, I'm actually their lawyer. Oh, the gardener is a lawyer the whole time? Yeah. So she was there undercover just to kind of like keep an eye on you. Yeah. But she is actually their lawyer. She was hired by Everart to kind of mediate this whole situation that's about to occur. Oh. And she reminds you. Martin Nays does not have a police force and that you cannot make arrests unless they allow you to. Oh, damn, that's cool. (laughs) They run these streets. Well, Kim tells her it doesn't matter what they think. He can arrest anyone who is guilty. Kim has a badge, so he can actually do whatever the fuck he wants. Kim's not afraid of fucking anybody. Hell yeah, Kim. Kim's the hero. Oh, hell yeah. And you can interview Titus, but no funny business. No funny business. It is best to go and run and talk to Joyce first, though, just to, like, kind of get some information from her before we get into it with with Titus. Okay. because we need to confirm some things. So you let her know that the drug trade is real because you confirmed that with Tommy. Sorry, when you talk to Joyce, are you just yelling to her in a boat or does she, like, come up to you or do you get out to her boat she's docked on the boat so you're standing on the dock and she's standing on her boat okay she's not like out at sea being like hey no 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 she's docked okay not sending up a flare (laughs) okay thank you i just wanted to visualize it and so since you're able to confirm the drug trade from tommy she confirms the mercenary rumor so she didn't realize that the guy was going to be a big shit bag the mercenary that came into town assume a mercenary is going to be like you think he's going to be a mercenary with a heart of gold that's just Deadpool like come on well they deployed three of them to Martinez and they do report to her but they don't take orders from her okay so they more check in with her yeah and after the guy was hung the other two are secretly doing their own investigation into the murder separately yeah And they're trying to decide whether to bring in their private army to execute the group. Oh, fuck me. Or just Titus. Wow. Oh, my God. There's a lot of blood up in the air. Oh, yeah. Damn. And the rumor she heard, one of them sexually assaulted a woman. Ooh. And Titus's group found out about it and took him out back and lynched him. Wow. And she has no idea who the woman is that got sexually assaulted. Okay. Titus's group has worked very hard to keep that quiet. Protecting the victims. Got it. So she tells you, you need to pin this on either a single person or they're going to take it out on everyone. Holy fuck. And the private army has roughly 2000 people. Oh, so they can really actually roll up and annihilate this group. Yeah, they can take out the entire city if they want. Fuck me. And she warns you that the remaining two mercenaries do not respect actual police, like, at all. (laughs) And you pretty much quickly deduce that the scab leader is probably one of the mercenaries. 
Okay. It's this is turning into werewolf out of nowhere. This is great. <laughs> he's just doing like a really bad job at being undercover. <laughs> Cause he's clearly not somebody just trying to work the docks. Yeah. <laughs> Since you helped her confirm the drug trade, she agrees to look at the picture of the body. And when she looks at it, she immediately recognizes the tattoos are not constellations. They're actually sailor maps of port cities. Oh. And for sailors, it was a guide for your soul back home if you were to die at sea. Oh. And sailors believe in a lot of that shit, too. Yeah, they have a lot of superstitions. And these are not ports that she recognizes at all. So they're not local ports. Interesting. No. And she knows every port. <laughs> and she thinks that it's his take on the same concept, but showing countries that he's conquered. Ooh, that's creepy. So you wrap up with Joyce and you're like, all right, I got enough information on this guy. Let's go talk to Titus. And Titus Hardy is a dick. (laughs) Fuck you, Hardy boys. And he has his entire crew, the Hardy boys with him, and they echo him and they hype him up the entire conversation. That sounds so obnoxious. It's pretty bad. And it's a lot of just repeating the same shit that gets said over and over again. Because he says something like, hell yeah, man. Yeah. Which I'm sure in the original when it was just written looked better. But with all the voicing, that did slow it down kind of a little bit more, you know? Yeah. But it still works very well. Like, it's still wonderful, choppy dialogue. Your cop instincts take over again, and each one of them you start to notice, and you start to match them up to the boots that you had marked in your head as being outside underneath the body. So each one of the Hardy Boys is starting to align with one of the footprints that were outside the body. Yeah. Got it. But... You also remember there were eight sets of shoes outside and there's only seven people here. Right. So you're assuming that it's that truck driver person that we've heard about. It takes zero pushing to get Titus to confess to the murder. <laughs> he was just ready to say, yeah, I fucking killed that guy. Yeah. And all seven of them confessed together. They're like, yep, yeah, we all did it. It's us. Hmm, we killed him. I don't know if I believe that. And the lawyer suggests that you just leave and file your report and let the courts decide what to do next. You're like, I have a fucking confession. Yeah. So that's valid, lady. Kim's like, no, fuck off. We're going to do our investigation. Kim's the best. (laughs) And so they tell him, like, look, that mercenary was a bad person outside of being a mercenary. (laughs) They don't start off as good people who just take up mercenary work, though. No, they're like, he harassed people, he threatened to kill people who didn't listen to him, and ultimately he raped a woman, and that was just the last straw. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> he had to die. I don't trust it. They're, they're really cooperative through all of this, except when it comes to who was raped. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is that a, in the sense of they're protecting whoever was assaulted? Yeah. Okay. They are keeping that quiet. They do not want to tell you who it was. Good for them. And when you ask them about how they killed him, they just start laughing at you. They're like, obviously, we hung him. (laughs) Hey, dipshit. You can tell by looking how he died. And Kim goes, yeah, it did look. His hands weren't bound. His legs weren't bound. How'd you pull that off? And they're just like, um. We hung him. uh, So Titus gets angry and confused. And then one of the random like guys in the background, he says that he clubbed him in the back of the head and knocked him out first. Then they hung him. That's why he wasn't fighting. It's hard to believe. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's not lining up. <laughs> and they won't also admit to the drug trade existing. 
They're like, there's no drug trade in this town. I don't know what you're talking about. That's the worst kept secret in town so far. <laughs> you know, I, I don't I do feel for them where if a woman was assaulted and they're like, that's not our place to out someone for being assaulted. Like, right. That's very valid. You honestly. can't get mad at them for that. Yeah. Like, no, you should respect someone's privacy. Some some woman is going through something fucking awful. They took it on themselves for street justice. Mm hmm. I'm not mad about them not doing that, but I don't trust them in that they actually killed this person. So in regards to the drug trade, let's yeah. go back to that. They start speaking in hypotheticals. Okay. They're like, you know, it would be smart for a group to take over the drug trade. This is like how O.J. Simpson wrote the book, If I Did Kill Them. Right. You know, you know we could eliminate all gang violence in a town. We could also produce a product that was completely controlled. And we could also have like good hearty men handle it better than anybody else. We're not admitting that there's a drug trade. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, these guys are fucking morons. And the lawyer finally is like, okay, guys, that's enough. <laughs> the lawyer has let them off the leash for way too long, by the way. She's not a great lawyer. She has no control of her clients. Now, if you do play to Titus's like emotional side, because he does have one. Oh, despite being a dick. You can get the name of the victim out of him. Oh, shit. Like, you basically, like, tell him, like, listen, we are police. We want to get this woman help. Yeah. We want to get her into counseling. Oh. She has to go through that. Like, yes, terrible things happen to her, but we have resources that can help her. But if we don't know who she is, we can't get her the help she needs. Right. And so if you do play to that, he will tell you her name is Class J Amandu. Class J Amandu. Yes. The naming in this is wild. It's it's insane, right? I've never heard names like this before. And her name's spelled K-L-A-S-S-J-E. I'd fuck that up. Yeah. Bless <laughs> your heart. And the only reason I know how to pronounce it is because it's all voiced. <laughs> this is why they had to voice everything. <laughs> <laughs> that too, right? They just got a bunch of reviews being like, these names are cool as shit, but I don't know what the fuck I'm reading. <laughs> Please give us voice lines. It's actually why in the fourth Harry Potter book, she has uh, Victor Crumb like spell out Hermione's name and how to pronounce it because nobody knew how to pronounce it prior to that. <laughs> By book four, she's like, you know what, motherfuckers? Yeah. <laughs> so Class J is staying upstairs and she is two doors down from you. It's the mystery woman you met on your first day. Oh, shit. And she's been staying there for a couple of months, and she's kind of a party girl. She likes to drink with the boys. Titus admits to having had sex with her. Consensually, though. Yeah, but just that there has never been a relationship between the two of them. As you leave, you do warn them that the mercenaries are conducting their own tribunal and that they're out to get them. <laughs> and Titus is like, we got it. Don't worry about it. Titus doesn't give a fuck. No. So you go upstairs to interview Klaus J. If you go through her room first... You find a significant amount of prescription pills. Are they for her? They're for her, yeah. Okay. Class J weighs like a buck ten soaking wet. Skinny girl. Super skinny. She's tall, beautiful blonde woman. And she's on her balcony just smoking a cigarette. And the balcony looks down on the tree where the man was hanging. Ooh, oof. Bless her heart. Yeah. And you're nervous because she also knows that you got so drunk that you forgot who you are. <laughs> And she also knows that you're a disco fan, and she happens to be a disco dancing queen. Oh, hell yeah. And she reveals that she's not from here. She's from a place called the Republic of Orange. Orange. And she doesn't have her passport. She buried it somewhere with some money and a plane ticket, so that way if she ever needed to run, she could go to it. 
Why is she preparing to be on the run? Ooh, she's mysterious. Well, she said it's because Martinez was considered unsafe and it was suggested in a travel brochure to keep those things away from you. Oh, got it. So that way it's never on your person. That makes sense. If you ask her about her pills, she reveals herself to be an extreme drug user. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. Drugs are not illegal in Revishal. Oh. In any form. That's sick. Yeah. Let's go to fucking Revishal. <laughs> sounds great. So she's using her prescription pills to both get fucked up and to counteract drugs that she's already taken too many of. Yeah, you gotta come up and come down. I get it. And speed is her absolute drug of choice. Eventually, you do get to the topic of sexual assault. Mm. And you refer to it as sexual assault. And she corrects you and calls it rape. This is heavy. So you ask, were you raped? She says, no, she can't say that man raped her. Oh. Says that she will not allow them to make her the reason they did that. Oh. They'll have to say he raped someone else. You're choosing your words very specifically. (laughs) They'll have to say and like. She says that Titus told her to say she was raped. Oh. And when pressed about it, she says she is 89% sure she was not raped. (laughs) Which is enough for her to consider it not rape. And she doesn't consider it a sexual assault. So it's it's not like a penetration question. What she says is that they partied very hard together. Okay. She and the dead man harder than Harry even was partying the other night. Like she's like, honestly, Harry, the worst I've seen you do is trash a hotel room. (laughs) Throw a shoe. Yeah. (laughs) You attacked a taxidermy bird. And they each pushed each other to party harder. Mm. uh, Drinking mostly for weeks on end. And they coupled that with a whole bunch of speed and sex. And they were pretty much a match made in chaos heaven. Very Sid and Nancy. Yeah. She says that, you know. Towards the end there, they were lovers. She met him in the bar just like a little over a month ago downstairs. They partied together and she does like it rough. And so that's why she doesn't consider it really rape. It was just that she likes things a little bit more aggressive. She says that she's had to sit there on her balcony watching him swing. Ugh. She can see it from her bathroom. She can see it in her nightmares. And she admits to being the person who called the police to come investigate even. You need to take the fucking body down. (laughs) I'm losing my mind. (laughs) That's how she felt too. Ugh. Yeah. And she tried to hide her voice when she called by slicing the phone line just like a little bit to cause some static. Oh, did she? She's the one that fucked up the phone line? (laughs) Yeah. And that slice just like grew until it like completely severed itself. Oh, shit. You ask like, all right, if he didn't rape you, why did they hang him? And she says it has something to do with a strike, she thinks. Wow. Uh, They never spoke about life outside of their like fucked up state. So they never talked about work at all. So she doesn't really understand what he was there for. Yeah. So they were just binging together. Yeah. And as to her relationship with the Hardy boys, they hang out at the bar all the time and they met that way. She's partied and she's fucked a few of them. She's including Titus, but she's never partied as hard as she did with the mercenary. Gotcha. But she doesn't think it was jealousy that drove them to hang him. So we got to go back to the Hardy boys. Titus says he knew he couldn't trust that fucking whore. Oh, my God. The lawyer makes sure to point out that this is not an accusation of prostitution, nor is it a confession (laughs) that he at any point trusted her with anything. (laughs) Like, to be clear, that is just using a vile term, (laughs) not an admission of any (laughs) any sex trade. And the boys all just start talking at once. They say she's in denial about what happened to her. They're saying, like, no, he did that. She just doesn't want to admit to it. They even got him on tape confessing to it. 
what the fuck? So they give you the tape and tell you to play it for yourself. And then they also made sure to say, this is not coerced. They actually have the entire harbor wired for sound, and they caught him talking about it. Oh. So you need a tape player. And you go down to the pawn shop, and he has a boombox you can buy. And you play the tape, and it's someone saying they're pissed about being stationed in this shithole Martinez. When he's done, he's going to go full soldier of the apocalypse on this place and just kill everything and everyone. He's going to do them all in and then take care of that little disco dancer whore upstairs. He wants to go full Lee Schmin. Now, Lee Schmin is a reference to a massacre that occurred elsewhere a few years prior. Oh, shit. You decide to go question Clashy about this because he doesn't say that he did it, but that he intended to. There's rage there. Yeah. She asks you. In the tape, did he call himself the soldier of the apocalypse? Did he talk about whores and going full Lee Shemin? (laughs) You know, the only identifying parts of that fucking tirade. She was like, that was basically his pickup line. Oh, my God. He was just a shit talker. He was a fucking troll. (laughs) I love this. He was actually at Lee Shemin, and he liked to brag about it. Oh, my God. So he was one of the people doing the massacring. Jesus Christ. This fucking thing. So he's just pure rage. She just loved his chaos and like how dangerous he was. She wanted to be close to that danger, the fire, you know? Yeah. You know, he's a real life contract killer. Yeah. And she's an addict party girl. Yeah. (laughs) Entirely. These are the kind of people that hang out. It happens. You go back to Titus and say, uh, that hate to say it, but. The tape was kind of just locker room talk, buddy. And Titus is like, I've been in plenty of locker rooms. I've never heard anybody plan something like this before. You're like, yeah. Have you been in a locker room with mercenaries, dude? <laughs> Literal fucking murderers? So you got to do some reverse psychology here. And you say, you know what? All right, I give up. It's time to pack up and go. In Martinez, they just kill anyone they don't like and get away with it. You just hit them in the back of the head, hang them, go back to drinking. No problem. And this starts to upset some of the group. Oh, and one man says, nobody hit him in the back of the head. <laughs> and one man tells you to shut up. And you say, or what? You'll kill me for no reason, like you killed the last guy you didn't like? And this makes one of them finally crack and say he was already dead when they strung him up. <laughs> there we go. I didn't trust these fuckers. Titus silences everyone from ruining their story. <laughs> further. <laughs> from ruining it further. These idiots. Titus tells the lawyer there's no more point. Tell Everard it's over. Titus confesses to what he knows. They folded pretty quick, I'm not gonna lie. That night, Klaus J came running downstairs in a panic. Titus had seen this look in her eyes before. It was the politician with a dead sex worker look. Ooh. But in reverse. Yeah. The mercenary was dead, and it looked like he was shot. Oh. There was a bullet hole through the window. So they fixed the window and they hung the body. They covered up the story because they wanted to protect Klaus J. Totally. She is in some serious trouble back home in Orange and people are after her. Oh, poor girl. And so a police investigation would draw attention to her, potentially bringing those people who are after her. Mm -hmm. Now the question becomes, who was the target? Was it him or was it her? Yeah. The people who were after her could have found her. And the mercenary has a trail of blood around the fucking globe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it was this mysterious eighth person's idea to hang the body. The eighth person who was not accounted for. They saw it as a fortunate opportunity to send a message to Wild Pines that they would kill any mercenary they send into town. They still won't turn over who this eighth person is. Interesting. Titus asks you to make sure you look after Klaus J. 
Martinez is a place for people to hide and start over. You know, like Alaska. Yeah, I totally get that. He wants to protect people like her because he's people like her. Yeah, no, they've spent a lot of time together. They're in the same social circle now. They're like, no, that's our girl. Yeah. We're watching her back. So you go back and you question Klaustia again. And she's sorry for sending you on the runaround, but she can't be a suspect because the people that are after her will find her in the name of, like, she pops up in a database. Totally. And she did something that's not even illegal. It's just unethical. (laughs) She performed industrial espionage. Oh, shit. She got a job with full intention of turning their trade secrets to their competitor. She stole decades of accounting information and C-suite level employees all the way down just lost their jobs. I mean, that's a little illegal. And then the people who hired her got caught. (laughs) So they all lost their jobs, too. So she was like, well, shit. So now literally both sides are after her. Yeah. Oh, damn. Poor girl. As to how the mercenary died. So the night he died, They had just begun to have sex consensually when she heard the window break. When she looked back at his expression was blank and lifeless. His eyes just looking like straight through her. Oh, my God. His weight fell on top of her and she pushed him off onto the floor. And he always wore his boots when having sex. It was like his thing. Mm. (laughs) Don't even like socks on, but go on. He's not a great guy. (laughs) (laughs) So she did a line of coke after it happened to calm her nerves and then went downstairs to get some help. When she got there. Ruby was there with the rest of the Hardy Boys. Who the fuck is Ruby? Okay, I was just going to ask. It's like, you've named a lot of people. <laughs> I don't remember Ruby. Ruby. Is Ruby the eighth person? Ruby is the leader of the Hardy Boys, of course. Oh, not Titus? She is the mysterious eighth member. Ooh. Yes, Titus is not the leader. He is just the head. Got but it. They take orders from Ruby. Hell yeah. Get it, Ruby. Ruby was the first person Klaus J actually trusted with her secret that she was in hiding. Klaus J had to get all his clothes back on and they made it look like a hanging early by putting a belt around his neck. So that way the blood would collect properly for hanging. Oh, smart. Yeah. And you could still potentially get some bruising in there if he's still like starting a rigor mortis and shit. Yeah. Ruby's kind of like the wolf from fucking Pulp Fiction. Yeah. (laughs) You know, she just comes in. She's like, all right, I got this. Yeah. Very cool. And after they strung him up in the tree, she hasn't seen Ruby since. Interesting. So Ruby disappeared after this incident. And she's gone into hiding. Yeah. Class J doesn't think it's who is after her as she hangs out on the balcony all the time and she's still alive. So they've had plenty of opportunity to kill her. Yeah. She's been out in the open. Yeah. And she finally called the cops because, as we said, she had to sit there and watch the entire town strip him of his armor, strip him down to naked. And then after Kuno started throwing fucking rocks at his rotting body, she was like, I can't do this. Yeah, totally. Reasonably (laughs) so. Poor girl. Yeah. As you leave, you can investigate the area to see if you can see any possible vantage points the shot could have come from. And all three come from across the canal. There's the boardwalk, the tip of a peninsula, and a small group of islands. Night is falling, and the canal won't open until tomorrow anyway. You need to get the corpse into a body bag, and Kim notices the missing boots. <laughs> he's like, buddy, I see what you did there. Eh, he doesn't accuse, but he's just like, Ugh. Don't be that guy. Not happy about it. And Kim takes the corpse to the nearest precinct to receive a proper autopsy. And so you'll be alone for the next day to do your investigation. Next day, you can finally cross the canal. You get across, and you find a car buried into the sand. And it looks like it may have flown off the bridge and into the dirt. Is there any chance this is related to the car-shaped hole in the fence or uh, any of the fuckery that you've done in a car? Well, upon further investigation, 
you see that it is a police car. You fucking fuck fuck. It does have a big 41 on the side. Mm. Yeah, this is your police car. Oh, God damn it. But good news, you found your badge. There it is. (laughs) (sighs) This dumb sack of potatoes. Turns out your full name is Harrier Dubois. Harrier! Everard didn't know that, which means he could not have gotten his information from the Census Bureau either. Ooh. Gosh, who can you Hmm. trust anymore? Well, now you make your way through this little fishing village and you meet up a whole bunch of characters that live there. There's just like a lot of sadness here. There's a <laughs> lot of poverty and despair. It's just drunkards, homeless people, street children. Just a town of sadness is a great way to describe the place. <laughs> and the people whose signature you need for Everard are there and you can get their signature and it's basically just to buy the fishing village. Oh, okay. So Everett's going to buy the fishing village? Yeah, he wants to buy it out and just kind of kick all these people out. He doesn't want to give them anywhere to go. It's just them saying, I consent to you unhousing me? Yeah. Jesus. And you can pretty much get them to sign it without them even reading it. Pretty evil. No. If you want to be. Or you can talk to them. You can make them not sign it. It's completely up to you. But one person you meet is a little old wash lady. And she has a room she'll let you, like, sleep in if you want. What's a wash lady? She, like, washes clothes for a oh. living. Oh! You're like Charlie Bucket's mom. I didn't know what a wash lady was. <laughs> She's just walking around with, like, a mop and Clorox? Got it. Okay. But, yeah, she also has, like, a little property that she rents out as well. A little Airbnb. Gotcha. She was renting it out to Ruby, but Ruby left on Monday in a hurry. Okay, Ruby left the day that you got into town. She left at 8 a.m. with her dogs which is at the exact time Kim actually drove into town. They passed each other. Yeah, because remember, Kim's car is all souped up and loud. <laughs> so it came fucking rumbling through town at 8 a.m. And so she woke up, saw the cops were in town, and she took off. With her doggos. And the little wash lady, she says she really likes Ruby, that she's nice, but she's just a little gruff. And you explore the area some more, and you discover the boardwalk. At the boardwalk, you find a phone. And you pick it up and you allow instinct to just kind of take over. Is this a cell phone or like a phone booth? This is a payphone. Okay. Yeah. You dial a number and you don't understand how you know it, only that you've dialed it like a million times before. Oh, from muscle memory. And it rings and rings and rings. And it keeps ringing. And just as you go to hang up, you hear the voice of a sleepy woman say, hello? And you can go down a path of conversation that is ultimately self-destructive while this woman keeps saying variations of, oh, God, it's you, isn't it? Oh, you're drunk. Leave me alone. She's pissed because it's the middle of the night where she is and she has to go to work in two hours. And she has dealt with you calling more times than she cares to. Oh, you got to let it go, buddy. And she eventually hangs up on you. Hell yeah. Don't put up with his shit anymore, girl. No, you can find another dead body. Why? Here in the boardwalk. Uh, this one is just an accidental death. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he fell through a loose board in the boardwalk while drunk, and he broke his neck while like falling onto a bench. Ooh, that's a terrible way to die. Yeah, it's, it's not the body you're here for, so. But you do explore a little bit more, and you manage to find our cryptozoologist buddy. Oh. And his name is Moral. That's right. And he's digging around in the reeds on a beach. And you let him know that his wife is looking for him and that the canal is now open so he can go see her. And he's been looking for that insect. Yeah, he tells you all about the phasmid he's hunting. It's a stick bug called the Insulindian phasmid that disguises itself to look like reeds. Ooh. 
and he believes that it bends reality around itself to disguise itself from people. So, not a traditional stick bug. No! (laughs) (laughs) He says, as far as size, he said it could be huge, as large as your arm is some he's seen the insects get to. Oh, fuck, that's too big. I don't like that. And nobody's ever caught one before, and nobody's ever seen one before. Valid. Keep going. You got this, buddy. (laughs) If you meet him later with Kim instead, like when Kim's not there, Kim like thinks all of this is bullshit. (laughs) Kim's like, this is trash. What are we doing? Oh, yeah. He's like, he questions every aspect of this bullshit magic bug. And Moral's just like, just have faith. And he's searching here because some teenagers described something that sounds exactly like the Insulindian phasmid. How does a teenager describe a, a lead bug that bends space and time around it or whatever the <laughs> fuck? What? No. This town is run by drugs. Right? Everybody here's on drugs. Of course they're going to describe something fucking weird happened. Yeah, man. And then the bug just, like, changed. No. No, you fucking moron. That's just drugs. Well, they're trying to use what looks like lobster traps that are like, above ground, Those, right? like, crates? Yeah, they're kind of crates. And they're using locusts as bait. What could they possibly eat? Let's try locusts. Well, they're the only known phasmid that occasionally eat insects. Okay, sure. (laughs) Let's go with this thing. But Moral decides to go see his wife across the canal while he waits for the traps to work their magic. That's right. Spend some time with your girl. You go back to Kim's car and call his precinct where they have finally identified the body. And his name is Ellis Cortenaire. Cortenaire. He was an abandoned orphan found in a leaf compactor. The fuck is a leaf compactor? Like a trash compactor for leaves. Oh my god. They were going to crush him. That's so sad. And he had told Klaus J his name was Lely. Lely. L-E-L-Y. The facility he was raised in was called Lelystad County Neonatal Care Unit. Mm. And he was fostered there until he was two. So the fake name he was using was named after the place where he was raised. He joined the military at 17 and was dishonorably discharged for being way too violent. (laughs) Shortly after, his trail went cold, and it's presumed that he joined the mercenary group at this point. You also make sure to let the precinct know about the body on the boardwalk so somebody can come and clean that up. By the way, there's a whole second body. This one's not as dramatic. (laughs) Please send out a bag. It's going to start smelling. You can confront Everard again if you want, and he just insists it's best he's in control of the drug traffic, honestly, because someone has to be. Why wouldn't he say that, though? He's a walrus (laughs) of a man. I mean, as long as the rest of the work's getting done, who cares? Also, he has nothing to do with Ellis getting shot. He's trying to start a war between Wild Pines and Martinez, so Wild Pines can be destroyed and he can have full control, because he really thinks that Martinez can take on this mercenary group for some reason yeah hmm the dead mercenary honestly is just a convenient means to that end so right it, it turned into an uh, a symbol like a happy accident right and you guys are murder cops so you don't really don't care about the drug trade anyway drugs are legal yeah it's just the drug trade that's illegal so you head back to the whirling and rags and the cryptozoologist couple ask you to check on their traps the next time that you go across the canal <laughs> now you're a part of this world <laughs> So you go and you inspect the uh, the locusts are doing just fine. You know, they're, they're still chilling in the traps. They're still not being eaten by mythological bugs. Yeah. In exploring, you do find a rundown section of the boardwalk and you walk by this big wall and you find a bunch of bullet holes in it. And you do a skill check and you can recreate the scene. And back when this town was under siege, 
This was the execution wall. Oh, fuck. Where like hundreds of people were killed just on their knees in this spot. Oh, no wonder the boardwalk's just a land of sadness and despair yeah. on this side of the canal. Fuck. They've abandoned it. The history sucks. There's too much death there. Yeah. And you keep searching the island and you find the final trap and it's empty. Oh. There's no phasmid. But there's no locusts. But there's no locusts. Creepy. And you head back and you tell them about the empty trap. And at this point, you can learn all about phasmids, like, in general. Yeah. There's some that are so large, they block out the sun. Ooh. There's some that are so small, they're unicellular. Some are just a sound. <laughs> Imagine being, like, a sentient sound. <laughs> I love that. And then, again, nobody's ever seen any of these things. Well, some are sounds, in all fairness. And the empty cage with no phasmid just means it's smarter than they thought. Mm, they're going to need a better trap. It's definitely not the trap's fault. We're going to need a bigger boat. Or any other explanation. It was Kuno, by the way. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Fucking Kuno. I got excited about Fazes. Why do you got to do this to me? Yeah, if you ask him, Kuno admits to uh, fucking with the traps. Oh, I fucking hate Kuno. Go to hell, Kuno. You can go back to the boardwalk as night falls. And if you do, you encounter a woman called the pigs. The pigs? She is like that trash woman from Labyrinth that is like carrying like an entire <laughs> junkyard on her back, you know? Yes. And she's like, you can't forget your toys and your bears. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she has like this police siren on her back as well. So it's really dark. And then you got the red and blue going at the same time. It looks really cool. Oh, shit. And she's also holding your gun. She's the old lady that bought your gun at the pawn shop. She is. And she is acting like a cop yelling at you to stop where you are. And she's pointing your gun at you. I used to get drunk and wear a sheriff's badge that I got at a Halloween store. I get it. <laughs> well, she tells you to prepare for a full cavity search. Nostrils, ears, mouth, navel, urethra, foreskin, vagina, and rectum. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> Let's go, lady. And she eventually becomes unhinged enough to fire at you. Oh, shit. But there are no bullets. Oh, thank God. And you take your gun back and send her to bed. Go to sleep, lady. Honestly, she's just like a loopy old lady who doesn't even have anyone to take care of her. Oh. And you go to Titus and you tell him that if he's supposed to be taking care of the community, he needs to take care of the pigs. Yeah. And he agrees. And he says, you know what? I actually know where her family is. I'm going to give them a call and I'm going to make sure they take care of her. That's the right thing to do. Good for him. Right. Titus takes a real big turn. Like after he realizes like the jig is up, you know? Yeah, and I appreciate that he does give a shit. He's like, you're right, like, this is my community, and I do owe it to my people around me to take care of them. Yeah, he might use some, like, poor choice of words. He's scummy, but he's scummy for us, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> scummy for his community. Yeah. It's day four, and if Kim did take the body to the coroner, he's back. You decide to check in an old building that is boarded up to look for Ruby, and it has a ladder up the side that you need to climb. When you roll a skill check, you manage to convince yourself that you teleported to the top of the building. <laughs> are you afraid of heights and you have to, like, block it out? You absolutely are. <gasps> oh, that's funny. And Kim's like, no, I watched you climb the ladder. <laughs> He's like, I flew. You're like, no, I teleported. <laughs> <laughs> and this is either on or off the bender. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can be completely sober and that still happens. And you're convincing another grown man, like, nope, I can teleport. <laughs> and he's like, I fucking hate you and I hate my job. So you go through the building and you open it and you let Kim in on the ground floor. After you teleport, yes, go on. And the building has a door that leads to under the pier. 
And under the pier, you find a sleeping quarters. And somebody has been there recently. Is this like a tent and bench situation? No, it's it's more like a concrete, like, little fallout shelter underneath the pier. Oh, okay. Yeah, that they have kind of constructed to have, like, some, a bed in there and stuff. Gotcha. And you start going through kind of, like, the underbelly of the pier, and suddenly the screen starts to freak out. Your playing screen? Your playing screen does. Oh, shit. And everything turns red and then starts flashing, like, this psychedelic, like, lights, like, rainbow lights, and everything gets distorted. Oh, shit. White noise fills your ears, and it hurts. Ah. And Ruby's voice pierces through the problem. She tells you not to fight too much. It'll just make it worse. Are you on drugs? The device she's using is bending sound waves around you, physically crushing you with (gasps) noise. Oh, shit. She lets you know that she has a gun and will turn down the machine and answer your questions. So it's still on to the point where, like... You can think, mm-hmm. but you still can't really move. Oh my god, you're immobilized. Yeah. So you ask if she shot Ellis. And she says, no, I did not. She just set up the lynching cover and she enjoyed Clashe's company. She also really liked the view from her balcony. I think they were fucking. Oh yeah, they are definitely fucking. You tell her that you know about her running the drugs through town. And she's your number one suspect for who killed Ellis. Like, she was unaccounted for during the time that he died. There's a whole bunch of things that are kind of pointing to her. Also, she ran and hid when the police showed up, and she swears she didn't kill him, and she just never really liked him, but not enough to kill him. You eventually get the strength to charge the machine that's fucking with your head, and you break it. Yeah. And Ruby does not want to be caught by people she just tortured, who also don't believe she's not a murderer. (laughs) These are very reasonable things. Go on. Very reasonable, right? So she does the reasonable thing, and she puts her gun in her mouth and pulls the trigger. (gasps) Oh my god! And kills herself in front of you. Jesus, fuck. You're number one suspect. Oh my god. Kim reassures you, this isn't the worst thing that's going to happen by the time this case is over. No. Why? Why can't this be the worst thing that's happened? And you head back to the whirling and rags to let the Hardy Boys know what happened. Ugh. Just as you're about to get to the Whirling and Rags, you're in the town square, and there is a standoff occurring between the Hardy Boys and the remaining mercenaries. The last two? There's actually a third member now that they have called in. Oh. And uh, he has a big-ass gun. Ah. Yeah. Now, this next scene can go a whole bunch of different ways. (laughs) And it's really based on your skill checks and what you roll. Okay. People can die. Oof. People will die, but... More people can die. Oh, my God. There's more hardy boys, but the mercenaries have, like, very superior weapons and armor, and they also have training and ruthlessness. Oh, totally. So the mercenaries have come to the conclusion that the entire hardy boys crew are guilty of murdering Ellis, and they all must pay. You and Kim stand between the two groups trying to keep the peace. Kim cocks his gun, and you ready yours. Thank God you found your gun, right? Did you get any bullets in your gun, or is it still unloaded from when the crazy cat lady... No, you got some bullets in it okay. by this point, yeah. You're <laughs> just waving around for clout. Now, the lawyer even, like, tries to calm everyone down as well. She's there, too. Everyone's just shouting over everybody at this point. And you try to convince the mercenaries that the hanging was a cover-up for a different crime. They don't believe you. It's hard to argue. Everyone heard Titus literally confess the crime publicly in the bar. Right. Like, everybody heard it. He's not keeping that a secret. <laughs> And they fire a warning shot over the Hardy Boy's head even. Ah. Just to, like, let them know. You try telling them that Joyce is going to fire them if they fucking, like, start a war here. Yeah, that wasn't the point. And they're like, Joyce sailed off this morning. 
oh shit she's been ready to go in all fairness <laughs> she took to the sea as soon as she could she was just ready for it you're like shit all right that doesn't work so he's like all right cool i'm gonna get claustro to come out here and she's gonna explain everything that happened so gart calls from the balcony because he's just been fucking rubbernecking from up there this entire time. Oh, who wouldn't be? Are you kidding me? Absolutely. And he's like, oh, no, she left this morning. Hell yeah, she did. <laughs> and Kim's like, I knew we should have arrested her. Oh, he's very mad about that. With nobody left to call to explain what happened. The mercenaries open fire on the Hardy Boys. <laughs> now, if you act fast enough, you stuff your tie into a bottle of alcohol, light it and throw it and turn it into a Molotov cocktail and explode it all over the biggest mercenaries. Oh, my God. And he just lights on fire. Oof. One of the mercenaries aims at Kim, <gasps> and the other aims at you. Kim dives at the one aiming at you, but this dive is a fake. So the one that's aiming at him continues, like, thinking he's going to continue on and misses his shot. Okay. So he misses Kim, and Kim kills the guy that's pointing at you. Oh, God bless Kim. Right between the eyes. Kim's the fucking best. Right. One of the Hardy Boys does get hit in this crossfire. You look up and you see the burning mercenary raise his gun pointing at you. Ah. And the role that you are presented with is an impossible role regardless of your stats. <laughs> and he shoots you and the screen goes black. Oh no! And you have to fight with your consciousness and you want to die. Yeah, you got shot. You want to just succumb to the darkness at this point. In all fairness, you did light this man on fire. <laughs> I don't think he's in the wrong to fire a bullet at you. And you keep fading back, but then you start to wake up a little bit, and Kim is screaming that you're bleeding out. And you can see, just ever so barely, the outline of one of the mercenaries standing over Kim. And you try to scream out, and you can't. Uh. And you just barely, barely raise your gun arm. And that's all it takes for Kim to realize what's happening. Oh. And he grabs the gun out of your hand, points it backwards, and just shoots the bitch <gasps> in the head. Kim's the coolest motherfucker on Earth! <laughs> or whatever planet we're on! Oh, I love Kim so much. Oh, Kim is so fucking cool. Kim's so fucking cool. You go black again, and it's described as being like someone pressed stop on a tape, and oh. sound went quiet. Ugh. So after like a whole other battle with your inner demons, you wake up in your hotel room with Kim standing over you. Mm. And he gives you a rundown of who lived and who died in the battle. But further violence has been avoided. Oh, good. There will not be a war. Everart had the mercenaries' bodies sent to their employer as a message to leave them alone, but kind of framed it as like, oh, you need to provide a proper funeral for your people. Because we fucking rocked their shit. <laughs> fucking right. We jam rocked it. So the problems with the strikers and the mercenaries appears to be over for now. But we still need to know who killed Ellis and why. Yeah. You've so far ruled out the boardwalk in the peninsula. So you need to inspect the small group of islands. You find a small boat in the harbor that you can take to get there. Fucking and Joyce's other getaway boat. Yeah. <laughs> Her dinghy. Yeah. The boat ride is unbearably long but you play music on your boombox as you like captain morgan on the front of the boat and kim's like in the back actually driving you were recently shot like <laughs> you're also a full-blown lunatic <laughs> <laughs> you think you can teleport it's yeah fine. <laughs> and this island was used to store munitions and was also like a black market trade during the occupation period oh okay it turned into a fort when martinez retook the city 
You explore this island and the fort area, and it is quiet. Like, no one, it's not inhabited, seemingly. Yeah. In fact, they even do, like, a too quiet. Mm. You go into a concrete shelter, and you find a bunk room that is actively being used. Like, the sheets have, like, been washed recently, even. Oh. Kim offers you the chance to take a nap. You've been through a lot. (laughs) And it was a long boat ride. And if you do, you go through, like, probably the most cerebral section of the game. You, like, speak to a goddess who represents your ex. (laughs) <laughs> find out she wasn't your ex oh it was just a woman you obsessed over oh you creep oh it's fucked up oh yeah it's pretty bad but if you don't nap you just can continue you find a spot that lines up a perfect eye line to Klaus J's balcony and there's even like a mattress there that somebody could easily lay down on with a sniper rifle oh no and just sit there and watch her room oh no and you both start to wonder if the shooter is still on the island You wander around and eventually come upon a very old man with a sniper rifle in his hand. Oh. Warming himself by a fire. He is called the Deserter. The Deserter. He heard you coming from the rock and roll music you played on the boat ride to the island. The rock and roll music. And Kim makes him put the rifle down, and he said it's empty now anyway. Kim checks the gun, and the bullet type matches the bullet used. You question the old man, and he tells you he is a former soldier from the Revolutionary War, the one that ended years ago. He was a deserter during the war and came to the island to hide until the war was over and he could come out of hiding. And his mental state is clearly deteriorated. Yeah, he's been isolated for a very long time. He joined the war in 08. Oh, God, and we're in 51 now. Yeah. And he also looks 10 years older than he actually is. Oof. You even make reference to that. You're like, ooh, you look worse than you actually... Ooh, okay. Hello, sir. You look terrible. <laughs> tell me your life. Well, you can get him to tell you his life. And it's long and fascinating. And I assure you, there's lots of politics. But you don't want to hear all that. What you do need to do is you need to get him talking so you can get answers out of him about the death of Ellis. Yeah, totally. He talks about being a killer and how in times of war, killing is necessary. But he thinks that they're still in a time of war. If you finally ask if he killed Ellis, he asks, is Ellis the enemy soldier he saw the blonde woman in Martinez? Oh, no. He's been stalking Klaus J for quite some time, actually. Oh, what a creep. Listening to her have sex through the wall, like behind her room. Ah! He's kind of like Bruno. He's like living in the walls through Martinez. He like goes like murdery. Yeah, he goes into town. He goes into like the little nooks and crannies. He says he saw you use a Molotov versus a rifle. <laughs> Recently. <laughs> yeah, that was like 18 hours ago, man. Yeah. He's like, you guys are imbeciles. No wonder people died. <laughs> Kim is convinced the gun is the murder weapon and that this man is the murderer. And finally, the old man says that he had him and the whore in his sights and he pulled the trigger and flew through the air and landed in his mouth. And he watched him die with him still inside her. Ugh. Afterwards, he went to bed knowing this would lead to someone coming for him finally. Oh, my God. He is aware he just confessed to murder. He is just always watching what goes on in town. And if he doesn't like what he sees, he pulls the trigger. This is not the first time he's done it. It's just the first time anybody's cared. Oh, fuck. It wasn't jealousy. Like, he didn't want Klaus J. He hated seeing people who are so evil enjoy themselves. Ugh. He wanted her to know it was wrong to have sex with an evil person. And that's why he waited until they were having sex to kill him. This is too fucked up. <laughs> it's a fucking dark ass story. 
he had been waiting and watching her since like day one. He even saw her bury her passport and shit and like in the sand. Ugh. So you finally heard enough and you're like, all right, I'm going to arrest you. Like, I, I can't take this anymore. Yeah, reasonably so. And he's like, but I can't leave. And you ask, why not? And a perception check reveals a sound coming from the reeds surrounding the area. <gasps> and it sounds like a violin bow being pulled across strings. <laughs> it's those fucking phasmids. The old man goes quiet. And Kim gets very confused. And a gigantic, three meter tall stick bug emerges from the reeds. Three meters? Towering over all of you. I love that that came back around. And this is the Insulindian phasmid. <laughs> and the old man cannot see it. You see it. And you have to double check with Kim. You're like, tell me you're fucking seeing this. And Kim's like, I see it. Don't worry. This is real. <laughs> Because you know you're a fucking lunatic. Yep, you gotta double check your reality real quick. Yep. And you approach the phasmid slowly, and you reach out your hand, and you ask Kim to use his one last remaining picture. And so the picture is just another one of these, like, stunning, fucking beautiful watercolors of this giant fucking stick figure towering over Harry, and, like, Harry's hand reaching up to touch it. It's like this very oh. beautiful, like, first contact kind of fucking moment, you know? Beautiful. And so Harry reaches up, and he touches it, and he connects with it, touching the antenna, and, like, there's a goo on your hand, and you lick it, and it's sugary and sweet. Why would you lick it? What I, the fuck? He's a drug user. He doesn't give a fuck. Alright, fair. So you try to speak to it, and it speaks back. Oh! Harry and the Phasmid each have their own existential crisis they're dealing with. <laughs> of course they are. And they decide to share it with each other. And the Phasmid's like really nihilistic. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> the Phasmid emits a chemical that prevents people from seeing him when he wants to. Oh. He wants Harry to see him, so he's not emitting it right now. The old man has lived here for so long, he's become dependent on the chemical. Oh. Wild. And so he just can't see the phasmid at all anymore. Yeah, it's so like in his bloodstream. Yeah, and it's to the point that it's driving him crazy. Oh, shit. And it makes him think he's still at war. Oh. And oh, you that's check. Sad. Yeah. And you check with Kim. You're like, are you watching this right now? He's like, yeah, what are you doing? You're just standing there staring at the thing. And you're like, no, we're having a full conversation. <laughs> okay. Well, the Phasmid decides it's time to go and that he has no more to add to the proceeds. So the Phasmid takes off and goes off into the water. Just fucks off into the water. Just fucks off. And the old man starts to go kind of catatonic as the Phasmid departs the island. Oh, fuck. Because he's out of range of the Phasmid. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you try to explain to Kim that you talked to the Phasmid and how he explained that the old man had been driven crazy by him. And Kim's like, um, I don't know but i trust you <laughs> kim's like that's absolutely not what i saw <laughs> but go off and the old man is so out of it you decide all right we can just leave him here and we'll send someone and come get him because like the boat only takes two anyway yeah and you get back to the mainland and there are a bunch of cops at the docks and they're from your precinct and they're pissed you don't remember any of them <laughs> They said the last time they saw you, you told them to fuck off and that you are Detective God and don't need a partner. I'm Detective God. <laughs> it's such a great thing to scream. Uh, and they're like, we don't they don't want to believe that you actually forgot. They're like, you're just being an asshole right now. You don't have amnesia. Like, this isn't cute anymore. Stop it. You're just being a dick. And so Kim's like, no, guys, I, I believe he really did forget everyone, but he never forgot how to be a cop. Albeit he has controversial methods. Yeah. 
Albeit he's a fucking moron sometimes. Then they also just start yelling at you because you let the primary suspect, Klaus J, escape. You say, no, it wasn't her. You were right to let her go. And they're like, and even Kim's like, no, he was right. We, we were right to let her go as well. They say, oh, right, because you had the other suspect who blew her head off. <laughs> okay, the track record doesn't look great from where we're standing. You're like, no, no, she wasn't the killer eater. Don't, don't worry about it. Like, she's not involved in this either. <laughs> You guys are being so basic. And they blame you for the dead people from the standoff from the other night. And Kim interjects that it's Wild Pine's fault for hiring the mercenaries in the first place. Yeah, this whole situation could have gone without mercenaries to begin with. Harry and Kim tried to stop it. And plus, they prevented a war that Everard was trying to start in the first place. Also, Harry caught a bullet. Like, he deserves a a purple heart, right? Fucking right. Or a badge or something. Something. A cuddle? Yeah. So they finally ask Kim for his assessment of you and how you performed. And he will be brutally honest about how he feels. I think he's crazy, but... When I finished, I was told I'm genuinely the greatest, most honest, hardworking detective he has ever seen. Aww. And I was just playing honestly. Good. Like, you can make Kim have very little respect for you. (laughs) But you were playing from the heart. Even if you solved the murder, yeah, he can hate you. But yeah, I was playing from the heart and he really did love me. That's beautiful. And he'll even tell you like where you fell on the political spectrum, mm. which is pretty cool. And then, <laughs> so remember when we said there was karaoke? Yeah. One side mission, you can sing karaoke. Oh, that's so good. And he'll let you know whether or not you were a good karaoke singer. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking great. He goes on to say, we managed to find the murder weapon, the motive and the murderer. And he's apprehended on an island waiting to be picked up right now. Oh, also, he discovered a new species. (laughs) NBD. (laughs) Mic drop. Fuck you. Team Harry. Yeah, he admits. He's like, this is the insulindian phasmid. Um, I didn't believe it existed, but I've seen it with my own two eyes now. And then he managed to show them the picture. And it's probably the largest invertebrate ever found. Holy fuck. They ask if it's connected. And you explain how the old man went crazy due to the chemicals it admits to hide itself. Regardless, they have a confession, a motive, everything they need to pin this on the old man on the island. These cops who know you also fill you in on some of your background. Oh, good. We finally get it. You were a gym teacher in your 20s. You met a girl. You wanted to impress her. You became a cop. She rejected you. You became an unruly drunk. (laughs) You talk with Kim and you and your team convince him. To transfer to your precinct. Oh, to be your partner? Yeah. Yay! Because, I mean, yeah, you're Detective God, but you still need a partner. (laughs) I'm Detective God. (laughs) You just stopped a war, but that doesn't mean the fight is over. Yeah. You agree to stop off and tell the cryptozoologists who have since left Martinez after the battle about your find on your way home. It'll be nice to deliver some good news for a change. The end. Oh, I like that. I like that the couple get like closure on their whole mission. Their whole fucking adventure, right? Yeah. The cryptozoologists get some closure on the phasmids. Like, it seems weird that I brought them in at the beginning, didn't it? It did, yeah. But it was like, he's bringing this up for a reason. He's really (laughs) laying this one on. I didn't think they'd be nine feet tall. Yeah, right? That was heavy, man. It is a strange ending to a wild and fascinating game. And as I said, you get twice as much story from exploring Martinez. Like, totally. I didn't mention hardly any of the characters that you find in this game. 
Yeah. You develop relationships with all of them. That's cool. I love this game. Yeah. I'm going to go back and play this again soon. Oh, fine. Are you going to go on a am. chaos run? I'm going to just explore. I'm just going to get lost in it. Okay, very cool. You know, now that I know how to do it, I'm just going to get lost in it. Ah. And I recommend anybody does the same thing. That was a big one to end the season on. It was a grand finale, wasn't it? <laughs> this whole season was grand, though. This was a very, like, boom, boom season. We had our biggest episodes we've ever done. Ugh, definitely the longest. I need a break, so we're going to go on hiatus for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Speaking of, we need to regroup. We need to. We need some time to play some more games for you guys. Yeah, we do. We need to play some games. We need to download some games. We need to digest some games. We need to study up. <laughs> definitely. And you guys have been really great about emailing us some games you're interested in. I got a couple of DMs. I got a couple emails. So yeah. we're really excited to check some of those out. Some of them we haven't played. Some of them we have. So... Very excited to check that out. We're starting to outline next season. We are. But we do have to do a lot of homework, and it takes a lot of time to play through these and get into the nitty-gritty of shit. Like, I was telling you game creators' dogs' names and shit. You know <laughs> I get down on the behind-the-scenes. Like, it takes us a minute to put these together. So please be patient, and we will come back strong for season five, level five, coming up soon. There you go. Oh, my goodness. This was a long trudge, but... <laughs> We it got was. through it. It was wonderful. This is one of my favorite games I've ever played, especially for this show. Honestly, I didn't even play this game for this show. You didn't? No, I played this just with the intention of playing it. And then it was just, it just sat in my head and I was like, I have to do it for the show. Oh, that's great. I have to. The fucking Phasmid at the end just, it's <laughs> I, such a trip. Like, why did we end there? That's great. <laughs> of course, this is how we end. And the murder mystery is wonderful and it takes so many twists and turns and you don't see it. Totally. This was emotional. Yeah. Sorry for what we put you all through. Yeah, but thanks. <laughs> Thank you for taking the ride with us. All, all right. right, Goombas. Until next season. Please, if you have it in your heart, leave us a rating. And if it's possible, a review um, on whatever platform you're listening to. Our Facebook is The Other Castle. Our Instagram is The Other Castle. Our email is in the show notes. I think it's Other Castle Podcast. Yep. At Gmail. Um, we'll be here, but we're going to go play some games. We'll get back to you real soon. We're just hitting pause on the screen. We'll be right back. <laughs> yes, we will. All right, everybody. Bye. Bye.